I used to preach. I used to study the Bible. It's a pretty fascinating book. People go, Sam, do you think you could do it again? Do you think think you could ever be able to preach again? Do you think there's anything left inside you that has any good to it? That can shine a light into somebody's lost way? Do you think if you had to, if your soul was riding on the line and you had to testify and you had to make a commitment, if it was a final answer, what would you do? Well... brother. I've done it. I've screamed at God at the top of my lungs because that's how much I believe in Him. Amen. That's how personal I feel like my relationship is. If I can't be myself with the Father, then I'm going to stop preaching this gospel. I'm reading this. It's it's an exciting story, but I read it and I thought, I know Jesus was never married. Guy never had a wife. No, he was never married because no wife would buy this story in a hundred years. The disciples will, the believers will. No wife would buy this story. Good luck. Good luck with this story. First of all, he leaves on Friday afternoon with 12 other guys. He's He's gone for three days. No message. No way to get in touch with her. He comes home Monday afternoon looking like he hasn't slept. Looks like he's partied out, man. And Mrs. Jesus is just waiting, going, okay, I guess it's day three of this. Well, I'm glad you can find your way home, Savior. Where's your 12 friends who won't get a job? How are they? Yeah, disciples, my ass. They're losers. Every one of them are using you. You're not even smart enough to know it. Anybody says, I believe, we put them up and feed them. I'm saying, where are you at? Jesus is going, oh, I don't need this. No, I don't know what I went through this weekend. Uh, no, honey, I'll tell you where I've been. Come here. Come here. Come here. I'll tell you where I've been. First of all, not that, uh, not that it ruined your weekend any, but I was bad! gentlemen, the late, great Sam Kinison. All right. Why, hello, it is seven minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and it's the month of September, or September, in the year of our Lord. By the way, have I told you what it's going to be next month? This month, all month long, September. Next month? October. Talktober, Tim. Oh, next Talktober? month? Talktober. It has to be Rocktober. No, 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 it's going to be Talktober. And I'm going to have the biggest, dumbest things you've ever heard in your life produced for it. There you go. And it's going to have like an explosion in the background, and I put a lot of reverb on the end of it. And then the guy's going to go, Talktober. And he's going to drag out all the vowel sounds like four times. No, it's the dumbest thing ever. And it's going to be wonderful. So there you go. Next month, Talktober. All month long. I like the one. Right now, though, still September. It is a whole lot of lead. Getting the lead out. Uh, all right. Uh, it's uh, 8 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of September in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Everson radio program, an excursion into whimsy and amusement. Uh, thank you for joining us. It is Monday, and uh, welcome to Day 12. There you go. As Sarah pointed out, it was just, a, just in a Sam Kinison kind of mood. I don't know why. 
So you heard three different things there. You heard one from his stand-up act uh, in L.A. That was that show he did right right after he was on the Rodney Dangerfield thing. Then there was actually a little bit of vintage audio of Kinnison actually doing evangelism with his family, with the Kinnison family, because they were all preachers. And then something else from later on in his career. So there you go. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. You want to join us today? 503 503- 733-2970. You want to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, ruminations, pondering, two cents, musing, kvitches, kvetches, limericks, riddles, iambic pentameter, uh, whatever it is you might have today. 503-733-2970. Uh, Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the mundane. Uh, you can also email, if you like, it's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at... Rick Emerson.com, Sarah at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, a lot to get through today. So much to get through, I didn't even finish making my matrix today. Sort of a three-stage process. I list out everything we could possibly do today, all of the component work parts uh, with which I can create the program. Then on the right-hand side, I list out just what we're going to talk about in the intro. Then on the left-hand side, because I'm an anal retentive freak, I list out what we're going to do in the program uh, segment by segment. So I got the first thing done and half of the second thing, none of the third thing. So we're kind of uh, we're kind of freestyling it, but that's okay. That's how you have to roll sometimes. Uh, Lisa Desjardins will be joining us today from the Hill. God, I saw boy Sarah McKaylin. Uh, Sarah McKaylin. That was that was an interesting Freudian slip right there. Sarah McKaylin. I think it was doing like a McCain and Palin thing. Uh-huh. All right there. That's like they. Uh, that's like they're calling him McBush. All right, back oh, McRib is back. I saw three sounds. Dude, McRib is so effing back, you don't even know. McRib has never been more back. Uh, McRib is hella back, Tim. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Hold you on. You can go anywhere well, while seeing that McRib is back. I'm glad you mentioned that. We'll talk about McRib in just a moment. And I will tie McRib into Rockfest, uh, which happened on Friday. So we'll talk about that. But, God damn, uh, Sarah Palin just put the boot into Joe Biden over and over again this weekend. I'm mean, at the point that he's probably nursing a few broken ribs right now. Just the, the well-aimed jabs that came his way through the media. Boy, she's you don't want to F with her, man. She'll kill you and your whole crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Let's see what else. God, the Obama campaign just made one mistake after another this weekend. Did you see this thing? I hate to be I hate to be jumping ahead of myself here, but I, I'm going to read you these two brief things. Then we're going to talk about Lisa Desjardins. We'll talk about Jim Roop. Uh, we will uh, recap Rockfest, which happened on Friday, uh, which was uh, fantastic and righteous and glorious and wonderful and loud and deafening and great and just uh, everything you want out of a rock show. We'll talk about Dennis Miller on Saturday, which was great as well, and had uh, a couple little surreal moments for me uh, on did Saturday. I did, actually. Got to meet Dennis Miller in, uh, uh, you know, I, and you know I don't like to be there. Guess what I did this weekend that the average person never gets to do? Listen to me. But, I, but, it, but you know, as we often say, radio is... Uh, fun job, great job, enjoyable job, little tumultuous, sometimes stressful. Uh, this industry can be a little unpredictable and does occasionally have its downside. So, you know, a little bit of the upside in radio is you, you kind of get to do things that maybe you wouldn't get to do otherwise, meet yeah. people you wouldn't get to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got several of those stories this weekend, actually, that I, I will tell just because, uh, you know, cause it's cool stuff. So we'll talk about that. Uh, what else coming up later on today? Uh, we're going to talk to Bob Ralston, I swear to God, the, the keyboardist and organ player for the Lawrence Welk Show. So we're going to talk to Bob Ralston today, 115. Uh, we have our first birth of a salesman in studio grilling happening today. Uh, <clears throat> a guy named, uh, I don't know, whatever the hell his name is. Some guy. 
Uh, going to be coming in today. He's the first of five. Uh, what time is he coming in? Uh, like two. We're going to grill him uh, in studio. And, then, of course, at the end of the week, three of those uh, fine folks talk to Michael Pashana, who is the general sales manager. Maybe one of them gets a gig and uh, so forth. Uh, Geek Watch coming up today. Uh, snuff, I think like a triple snuff watch coming up today. Stan is his name. Thank you, Richie. Like a triple snuff watch coming up today. There's all kinds of stuff to get to. We'll talk a little bit about the Mad Men from last night. A little tidbit about the, the Futurama movie that's coming out. Anyway, so uh, it's all very exciting. Let me just read these two brief observations. We'll find out what Tim Riley's uh, cooking in the news department. We'll talk to Sarah. Then we'll recap this weekend. So I don't even know where to start here. Well, I'll just start with the Obama campaign shooting themselves in the foot. This is on the this is this is on Friday. Uh oh, what did they do? This came out. This, I mean, really, Democrats love nothing more than to take a lead and just just blow it, just take a sizable advantage and just see how fast they can whittle it down to nothing. I almost can I tell you this? I didn't because it felt like it was too soon, too much, too mean, too whatever. But can I tell you that on Friday I actually assembled a top five. And I put it on the shelf, as they say. I put it on the back burner. Let it mellow a little bit. I thought it might be too early. But on Friday, I had assembled a top five... Um, I, had a, I had assembled a top five loser songs just for the Democratic Party because I felt like they were already trying to... Uh, they were already sort of consuming their own tail. So on Friday, I had this whole top five put together. Top five loser songs for the Democrats. And then I didn't, so I put it aside. We'll undoubtedly have a chance to play it later. So, um... I'll just read this here. This is from uh, National Review. Admittedly, uh, a right-leaning website, but still. So uh, this is actually, though, they're quoting the Associated Press. So uh, this is where the Obama campaign is sort of mocking John McCain for not being tech-savvy. Because John McCain has that whole thing about how he doesn't use a computer. And so the Obama campaign, of course, came out trying to paint him as old and out of touch and a fossil and whatever. So this, I'm quoting now the AP story. And this is, a, this is a guy speaking on behalf of the Obama campaign. Obama spokesman Dan Pfeiffer said, Our economy wouldn't survive without the Internet, and cybersecurity continues to represent our most blah-blah-blah security threat. And then the Obama campaign says this about John McCain. It's extraordinary that somebody who wants to be our president and commander-in-chief doesn't even know how to send an email. So they're mocking John McCain for the fact he doesn't use a computer to know how to send email. And, of course, the reason that John McCain doesn't send email is because he cannot type because of the beatings he received as a POW. Oh, that's unfortunate. Both for John McCain and now for the Obama campaign. He doesn't even type! What's wrong with you, John McCain? I demand that you type right now! I can't. I also can't brush my teeth or bathe myself. I'm sorry. Yeah, so there you go. So suck on that one. That's unfortunate. It really is. That's like that's like Biden. Put them right. That's like Biden the other day telling that guy, "Stand up, Bob, so everybody can see you." And Bob's in a wheelchair and has no legs. Well done, Joe Biden. Well done, Obama campaign. Uh, Self-defeatist. Thy name is Democrat. Jesus. Bunch of tools. Uh, let's see. And then and then one more one more political thing, and then we'll get into the get we'll get into the rock. Um, God, Sarah Palin is just a. I hate to say this, but she really is a pit bull. I mean. Just grab onto your femur and never let go. She's getting in Joe Biden's head now. Like the the, the, the mental game, the psyching Joe Biden. Because the thing is, there's going to be, what, two or three uh, presidential debates. There's only going to be one VP debate, and that's like a winner-take-all kind of a thing. And let's not pretend that Sarah Biden isn't the, isn't the engine driving the Republican Party right now because Sarah, Sarah Biden. Biden. Sarah Palin. 
going to be one of those days. You cannot say her name. <laughs> Maybe my brain rebels at the idea of saying her name. Uh, but let's not pretend she's not the engine driving the Republican ticket right now, because she is. And so she must know, or her people must know, that you've got to get inside the enemy's head right away. You've got to start psyching out your opponent, like, immediately. Uh... You know, like I always wondered, they always said that Michael Je- uh, Michael uh, Jordan, uh, there was always, you would hear two different versions of Jordan and whether he would trash talk or not. And I never really knew what the real story was. Some people said that Jordan knew that he had enough presence and he knew that just being Michael Jordan was intimidating enough he didn't have to trash talk. He would just stand behind somebody and go, hey, I'm Michael Jordan, who are you? And they would just, I don't know, and they would just fold. And other people would say that Jordan was a real trash talker. And I always wondered if, you know, for Jordan, he could just go out on the court and just stand behind whoever, you know, he was you know, paired with and just go, you know, I made $985 million last year. What you make? You know? And just like, I'd be like, I, 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 <laughs> uh, you know, and that's all the trash talking Jordan had to do. But you got to get inside the opponent's head. Listen to what Sarah Palin said this weekend. This is totally her uh, getting up inside Joe Biden's head before the debate. It's from the Associated Press. Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin said Friday, you almost, I don't care what you think of her, you hate her, you love her, it doesn't matter. You almost want to go give her a big, mean hug for this. Sarah Palin said Friday, in a remark clearly meant to get inside the head of vice presidential nominee Joe Biden, Sarah Palin said Friday she thinks Barack Obama regrets not making Hillary Clinton his running mate. Right there. I think that was the first one. Jesus. Did she say something else? Well, no, that was the first thing she said. Yeah. So, so I she mean, came out swinging. Yeah, that was, I mean, Sarah Palin said that, yeah, Obama's going to regret not picking Hillary Clinton. And you know what that is if Joe Biden, if you're Joe Biden, that's looking down and going, hey, wait a where are my testicles? They were just here. Oh, they're gone. All right. Well, in any event. Oh, we'll talk a bit about SNL. Uh, Tina Fey, as everybody knew she would, they tried to keep it a secret up to the last minute. Lorne Michaels, I really don't know if Tina Fey is going to be on or not. Which, you know, of course, everybody knew that she was would. Genius. Did you watch it? It was gold. It was really good. Wow. I T- laughed. I, I laughed out loud. Tina Fey did such a good job, though, that now when I picture Sarah Palin, I just see Tina Fey as Sarah Palin. And that woman who plays Hillary Clinton, you know, she gets overshadowed by the Tina oh, Fey thing. Fuller? She was really good, too. She did a really good job as Hillary. Did you see it, Tim? I did not, but I, I saw some sound bites. It's on the YouTube. Yeah. Uh, you go watch it. It was really good. So, anyway. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification on this Monday. Stocks plunge as Lehman Brothers declares bankruptcy and Merrill Lynch is sold to the B of A. The engineer at the controls of that ill-fated Los Angeles commuter train may have been texting just before he ran a red light. Gresham police captured an alligator in a popular hiking trail. Public tours of the Cuckoo's Nest in Salem were held over the weekend. Darn it, we missed it. Well, wow. see, and I wanted to go, but I couldn't. It's the last weekend you could have gone. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I was at the you know, Rock Fest and then uh, Dennis Miller. Uh, Sarah Palin's dad boasts it was he who taught his daughter to kill and butcher moose. Lindsay Lowen will not be supporting Sarah Palin. And a dog calls 911 to save his owner. Aw, oh, it's the feel-good story of the year. It Tim. is. All right. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing well. All right. I had a... Should I just talk about my weekend? I was just... I had, well, I was, I had a good weekend. I was just going to say, you, all about you started your new uh, your new outside gig this weekend. I sure did. I did. Well, I went to Rockfest all... You know, left right from the studio and uh, went to Rockfest on Friday and saw a bunch of rad bands. And um, thanks to the fine staff at KFO, they um, gave my friend and I, you know, backstage passes. Ooh. We had to hang out and drink free beer and yeah. food and stuff. It was really fun. And then, uh, yeah, and then Saturday I started my second job. 
and it was really, really this cool. This is your job as barback? Yes. Excellent. This is my first time working in a bar. It was so strange because I was, um, you know, it's crazy busy, and, like, a bunch of my friends came in to visit, and it's just completely bizarre, too. The, the time whips by really fast. It goes by really fast, and then you stay sober, and everyone else just keeps getting, compl- oh, like, mm-hmm. totally blasted. Welcome to my world. Brick, I know what it's like to be, you know, like, all my friends are drunk, and all these people yeah. that I've found attractive before, I see them all wasted. Yeah. Like, you are so not as good-looking as I thought yeah, you were. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so, you know, uh, did that, so that was a lot of fun, and then went to the river all day yesterday, got a mean sunburn, and... Yeah, I got some sleep last night, so excellent. Good. So I'm actually working again today and again this weekend. Now, is it is it uh, is it is it stressful though? I mean, is it like a because bartending seems like a job that I couldn't do because oh, you're like you bartend like half the time too. So I made some drinks oh, for wow. people. I think I would feel like loose like Lucy on the on the candy line where you're just like so far behind. You're just like I don't know what's going on. Have you ever, have you ever worked with food? Uh, long time ago, but not in a high pressure environment. Oh, okay, yeah, because I've been a server at like a bunch of restaurants and stuff, so I really like that. And there are a bunch of listeners there. There's Colin and Ed. And I met Steve. And so I met a ton of listeners this weekend. Excellent. Too. Yeah, a lot of them. Um, yeah, so it was really fun. So got to see the bartending for the first time. I think the only thing I've ever done that's anything like that is fast food during lunchtime, which is very oh, different kind imagine. of crowd, but very crunch. You know, because they're like, you know, everybody needs their food in 90 seconds or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, when I worked fast food, literally they had a timer. It's like everybody from order to delivery is like two minutes. Get it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you have all my respect because I couldn't do that. There's no way. You'll yeah. come in and visit me sometime. Wait till New Year's Eve comes along, though. And uh, oh, have fun th- with that. I worked New Year's Eve being the beer pourer on the Queen Mary. I never looked up all night. You know, five hours went by like in two seconds. Pour, pour, pour. Yeah. People take, take, take. Yep. All gone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, and I've never had to serve, uh, you know, alcohol to people who, you know, because that's just its own special brand of fun and hell, I think. Uh, the closest I think I ever came to, to that was, well, either A, working fast food, or I used to. I used to be a uh, uh, a DJ, like a uh, like a music DJ on uh, cru- like tour boats, not like a cruise, not like you know, not like a Princess Cruise Line or whatever. But I mean, you know, like people would go out on a lake for five hours and they would charter a boat, and then I was the guy standing there playing music for five hours. I would have hated that. Oh, it was like it was the worst. You just playing music a... for people who are drunk is the worst thing you can possibly do. Oh, totally, dude. You're floating asylum full of drunken uh, nitwits. And especially if you're five feet tall, because you're the one that people take out their frustrations on. <laughs> Whom must I beat up on? You're stuck there for four. You don't have the hokey pokey. <laughs> I'll snap your neck like a twig. <laughs> yeah, so I would go out. I would just do these things where I was sitting there, you know, playing, and of course it's back in the bad old days when it was all on regular CD players, like off the shelf. And so every time the boat's engine would turn on, the CD players would skip, you know, until we'd be halfway through, you know, the Lombada or whatever. And, and you know, the guy would turn over the boat's engines and it would be like, uh, you know, Lombada, Lombada. And the city starts skipping and everybody goes, you know, bogus! You know, and they all want to like rush the booth and lynch the DJ. And meanwhile, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm only here. They're paying me $50. Uh, it's just hating my life. And then as the night goes on, people drunker and drunker coming up. And guys coming up like, you need to play more BTO. And I'm like, I don't really know if I can, you know. And it's your thing, too, of the like, you know, what are you, a pansy? Play more, Bo- play some Boston. Uh, and then they're just like these horrible, awful women uh, coming up and just uh, like shoving their, their weird wrinkly selves into my face, trying to get me to play some song for them. It's just the worst thing on earth. Oh, it's so, terrible. Yeah. And it, well, you have all my respect for being able to do it. But that seems like a thing at which you'd excel. So. It was it was really fun. And like, you know, um, had to you know clean up the... A few drunk girls, you know, spilled their beers, had to clean that up and stuff. But it was interesting to see it from a different perspective. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. Uh, let's see. So speaking of crowds and music and rock and drinking and boozing and all that great stuff. Uh, so uh, Rockfest, uh, KUFO presented Rockfest Lucky 13 on Friday. 
uh, which was fantastic. Everybody had a great time. Huge crowd. Everybody into it. Um, and, you know, and it, you know, I'm sure it's been it's been it recapped all morning uh, on KUFO because Adam Carolla was there. Well, you want to talk about a guy who is just like a pro, just a guy, man, just a guy he was comes super out. Cool. Totally laid back, mellow, you know, meets everybody, shakes everybody's hand, signs whatever you want him to sign, takes pictures, anybody wants a picture, goes on stage, is funny, you know, gracious, you know, all of that, all of that stuff that, that you would think he would be, he is. Uh, so, I'm sorry, I'm being distracted. This is the warm line for Sarah. Is it CNN? All right, let's, let's take a moment now and see who's on the warm line for Sarah. I think it's CNN calling to tell us that something I wanted isn't going to happen. That's always sad. Mm-hmm. And Sarah's knitting her brow, biting her lower lip, and nodding her head sagely. It sounds like something's being moved around. Rick Emerson once again getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop. Okay, so would, no it, it would it work better to uh, be between one and one thirty? Mm-hmm. So one for who? Uh, for Ruth. Uh, well, we have uh, Bob Ralston at one fifteen. Does Ruth want to do one thirty? Um, he can't do it at one thirty because there, there's uh, testimony. Let's do one. Okay, could, uh, could we do, do one o'clock for him? Okay. All right, sorry everybody, we're remove we're moving Jim Roop. It's just as exciting as it seems. All right, and we're checking, and momentarily we'll resume our rock yeah, yeah, story, which leads directly into my Dennis Miller story. And okay, so <clears throat> that would be fabulous. So a clown yeah. is walking into the forest with a five-year-old and a chainsaw, mm-hmm. and the five-year-old says, "Well, these woods sure are scary." That perfect. And the clown says. Okay. How do you think I, I feel? I have to walk out of here by myself. Oh. All right. Are we done? All right. Yes, yes. We're one, good. one o'clock. Uh, one o five. Cool. Uh, anyway, so Rockfest, great time. Uh, there's a couple, uh, just a couple brief observations uh, from Rockfest. If you were there, uh, you probably saw the stuff firsthand. It's fantastic. Um, so there was these two bands, the Trio and Five Finger Death Punch. And there was this great moment when the five finger, because the five finger death punch guy, this guy who sings for five finger death punch, was stuck at the airport because the hurricane was just messing everything up left and right. And I think he was stuck in Denver and he was running real late. So he's calling Rockfest, going, I want to be there to rock, but I'm running late because of a hurricane. What can we do about this? And uh, the Rockfest guys are like, I, well, how late are you going to be? I don't I estimate an hour before I can take the stage. Why are you doing that voice? Because he's a rock guy. And so they swap Five Finger Death Punch and Atreyu. Anyway, long story short, they flip the lineup. And so Atreyu goes on uh, where Five Finger Death Punch is going to be. And then Five Finger Death Punch goes on, you know, where Atreyu is going to be. And so Atreyu finishes up. They're like, where Atreyu? Thank you. Wow. And so they they get to the point because, you know, Kid Rock is supposed to go on at 9, and they're trying to stay on schedule. You know, you want to run all behind and everything. And they're getting to the point where they're like, okay, these guys have got to go on. And I think the Five Finger Death Punch guys must have been thinking, I think their plan must have been, okay, look, we're going to go on even if the singer's not here yet, and we'll either, you know, somebody else will sing or... You know, we'll do just like some rock jam. I don't really know what the plan was, but I guess they were planning to go on stage because they didn't want the people to just be, you know, you don't want to disappoint the people. Uh, you know, people pay your bills. 
So you want to, you know, they wanted to go on. So I think they were planning to go on just as like a, you know, without him and just rock, like without the singer. And this is what happened. This is so, it's like a great rock moment. And I'm so glad that I'm able to sort of see stuff like this. These are the moments you like to tell. So the Five Finger Death Punch, the band is walking up on stage and they're like, well, all right, guys, no singer, but we're going to rock anyway. Let's, let's go. And literally as the guy on stage is going, ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome Five Finger, as they're being introduced backstage, you hear just the squeal of the tires and the roar of the engine as the car goes boom and pulls up right next to the stage, nearly hitting several people. Doors fly open, and the five-finger death punch guy jumps out, runs directly from the car up the stairs onto the stage, and then begins the rock. It was just like the it was like the greatest thing. It was exactly how you want to see a rock show done. I mean, it was just it was golden. Um, so. Uh, let's see. I'll tell one other Rockfest story, and then i got to talk about Dennis Miller, and then we get a break. we got about five more minutes here before we can break. Um, one other Rockfest story, and you will hear me gush about this probably repeatedly throughout the day, but I'm just going to say this. So Kid Rock was the headliner, 9 o'clock. He comes out. I'm a big Kid Rock fan. I celebrate his entire catalog. So he comes out, and again, it's everything you want the rock show to be. He's got the big intro film, and he does that cool thing of it's like Joe C., you know, who's passed away, but it's Joe C. on the video camera going, you know, or on the video screen doing like the where you at rock thing, and they're playing the low droning intro music, and everybody in the lights are off, and the crowd's like, ah, you know, it's that cool moment before he hits the stage, and then Kid Rock runs out, and he, he goes into the, uh, you know, you never met an MFer like me, and just, you, you, you done, it's, and he's doing his, you know, his country stuff, and his rock stuff, and his sort of, his hybrid stuff, and then there was just the greatest moment, just a moment that, I mean, it gives me chills even just now to think about it. Because uh, Laura and I were, you know, we were sort of backstage. Because, you know, like Sarah, you know, we're, uh, you know, the CBS radio and, and Susan and Chris, they, they took care of us. And so we were sort of backstage. But I'm like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and I want to see this from, from the audience. So we're out there in the crowd. And for people, especially, I think, in my generation, uh, you, will, you will know a little bit of what I'm talking about. And let me just, I'm, sorry, I'm actually going to play a little bit of audio here. Uh, let's see, where is my... Uh, I'm going to play just a little bit of this. So we're out there, and Kid Rock has been doing his set. You know, it's him and his band, and they're doing all the Kid Rock stuff you want to hear. And then there is this great moment where the lights go down, and then you just hear this sound. And you hear this little, this little keyboard trill right here. And then they bring out on stage Reverend Run from Run DMC. And he comes out and he looks exactly like you want him to look. He sounds like you want him to sound. He's got, you know, he's got the Adidas and the black outfit and the hat and the gold rope. And Did Kid I Rock. that he walked right by me? Oh, it was. Uh, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just the most unbelievable moment. And this was the song they kicked off with. They started with Rockbox. And um, I'll fade this back down now, but um, I'm going to play that later on. But they. It was just unbelievable, and I mean, I get chills now thinking about it, and, and uh, Laura looked over me, and she's like, this is kind of interesting, and I think I must have just been slack-jawed. My mouth must have just been hanging open, because she's like, what? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, I can't, like, this is breaking my brain. Like, I can't even, because for people who were, I mean, it's impossible to overstate how important, how crucial, how mind-blowing Run DMC was, I think, just to, to everybody, but especially, you know, people of, a, of kind of a certain a certain age, certain era. And they did, you know, they did Rockbox, and they did It's Tricky, and they did, uh, I mean, you know, and, then, and of course they did It's Like That, and they did uh, obviously Walk This Way. And, you know, when I was growing up, you know, Run DMC wouldn't come into Kennewick. 
They're going to come to some asshole town of 15,000 people or whatever. And, of course, I wasn't old enough to ever go see them. And so the idea that I would be able to be there watching Run from Run DMC looking just like he did back then, out there with Kid Rock, a full band, playing those songs. I mean, it was like a little closing of the circle in my head. It was like a little checked off. Things to do before death. Uh, it was just... See, I'm getting chills right now. It was It was just... It was beautiful. It was... It was one of the all-time great concert moments. It was just, it was just fantastic. So anyway, so there enough of my, um, enough of my, enough of my giving uh, everybody a tongue bath about that. It was just, it was just wonderful. Uh, do we have to break here? All right. Uh, I have not yet told the story about Dennis Miller uh, from Saturday. I went to Spirit Mountain Casino. Dennis Miller was live there. Obviously, we were sending a bunch of people out to uh, to see that. Um, we have a couple minutes. I'll just tell this real briefly then. So. Uh, he was there Friday and Saturday. I was here Friday for Rockfest, and then so on Saturday, uh, that was the night we'd send you know somebody out to, to see him and stay the night. We'd been giving away tickets and whatever. And of course, obviously, Dennis Miller uh, precedes us mornings uh, until ten right here on this very fine radio station. So we go out to um, we go out to Spirit Mountain, and uh, it was uh, you know Laura and myself went. Uh, you know, a bunch of uh, listeners went out. Chris Paddock and his wife uh, went out, and uh, you know there was a whole bunch of people there. Great time, whatever. So I was, you know, doing the stage announcements. I was doing the, you know, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, thanks for coming out to see Dennis Miller. And sometimes when you go to do that stuff, you know, you're introing the person, but usually you're like 15 minutes early. Like they come on at 8, but you go on at 7.45, and you don't ever see them. And you go like, hey, thanks for coming out. Don't forget the veal two for one all week. And, uh, you know, and uh, Martha Reeves will be here later on in the month, so write it down. You know, you but... This was, I go backstage, and she says, hey, come back here at 7.50. Uh, here's a couple quick bullet points. They wanted me to mention that Smokey Robinson was coming and say, like, no flash photography and whatever. Um, and she says, come back at 7.50. We'll take you on. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I, I go out, and I get make sure everybody's taken care of, make sure Lara's got a ticket, whatever. I go backstage at 7.50. And again, you know, you never know what it's going to be. You figure it's just going to be a million people and handlers and, you know, and everybody's got their own, their PR people and whatever. I walks back. I walk backstage. And she says, okay, Rick, you're going to go on in like five minutes. Rick, this is... And then the door opens, and like out walks Dennis Miller, and who I've never met. Interviewed him twice. But, I mean, that's, you know, I've... You know, he's Dennis Miller. He was on SNL. He was on HBO. He was on Monday Night Football. He's in Bordello of Blood. So he walks out, and I'm like, uh, oh, hi, Dennis. I'm Rick. You were on my show. I think you're really great. Hey, Rick, good to meet you. Hey, you got a smart show. I like it. That was, uh, uh, oh, that's a pretty good Dennis. Thanks so much. You're so cool. Um... And so they take us back into this little tiny antechamber, which is right off stage. And it literally, it's like just a little room smaller than the studio. I mean, it's like the size of maybe a big bathroom, like a master bathroom. And then there's the stage, you know, the stairs right up onto the stage. And so it's Dennis Miller, me, and one security guard just kind of stashed in a corner, make sure that I don't mug him or whatever. And that's it. There's the three of us right backstage. And Dennis is so cool. He's such a pro. He sits down and he goes into like screensaver mode. Where he just sits there and he's like looking into the middle distance like Zen. Like he's sort of into sleep mode like your computer when it goes to the blank screen and he's just sort of mm, like a comedy robot just sitting there just like finding his mark inside. And of course, I'm doing what I always do. And Sarah has seen me do this backstage at every single listener party ever. I am pacing. Pacing and freaking out. Pacing and freaking out and sweating and cursing. and just, You know, and just so. And I've done it ever since I was in debate. You know, I would I would pace back and forth outside the debate room, pacing back and forth, just whoo, 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 back and forth. Dennis did the coolest thing. So there's Dennis, and again, just totally like in Zen, like Miyagi mode. And again, it's just the three of us. And Dennis looks up and he goes, "Hey, Rick, are you nervous?" And I said, I was trying to think of something flowery. I go, "Well, I just I." Uh... Yes, I'm very nervous, Dennis. And he said the greatest thing. 
that classic Dennis Miller delivery. He looks up and he goes, I'm doing an hour. You're doing one minute. Calm down. <laughs> and, then, and, I was, and I was just like, well, okay, fair enough. Uh, anyway, and so then, uh, you know, and then I, I went out and I introduced him and I did the whole thing and I didn't, I didn't trip. I didn't fall. I didn't trip. I didn't walk off the stage by accident. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't call him, uh, you know, I didn't go, oh, Louis Anderson or anything by mistake. I mean, I walked and then I walked off stage. He shook my hand as he was coming up. You know, we did the crossover on stage. He gives me the big handshake. He met with uh, listeners afterward, did you know, photos, uh, said some very gracious things uh, to, to everybody that was there, you know, to my wife, everybody. So it was just a great time. So met a whole bunch of listeners that night and the next night. So we stayed the night. And we met a whole bunch of people uh, the next day who would come out, who would stay the night, who were still there. And so it was, uh, and it was fantastic. So the guy was, uh, was just uh, wonderful. Um, all right, we got a break. We'll come back after this. Lisa Desjardins coming up later on. Cena radio correspondent James Roop, uh, Tim Riley, and more. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson. caught up in our weekend. Jesus, was it busy? I mean, it was good, but it, busy, crazy week last week. I mean, it's, but, you know, because that, not to go on and on about this, but you know, when, there, when there's a big event happening here, you know, for any station, whether it's like something for us or the Rockfest, I mean, it's sort of like running a really, uh, it's like running a really memory-intensive application on your computer or something, and it just slows everything down. And it's just like last, I think by the end of, I mean, I really, I have nothing to do with Rockfest, and I was exhausted by the end of the week. I'm like, oh, oh I'm so glad Rockfest went well. It is, you know, I'm just tired. Um, and then the, you know, the Dennis Miller thing, so anyway. So there you go. So that's a, so that is a pretty, uh, that's going to be the Dennis Miller story that I tell, because, you know, like he tells us an opera story. Uh, so now, now I have my great uh, Dennis Miller story. So he was. Uh, That's pretty awesome. I'm doing an hour. You're doing one minute. Calm down. <laughs> uh, it's 503-733-2970. Jesus, what else haven't I? What else haven't I gotten to yet? Oh, I left and I left a bunch of clothes in my room at the the, at the casino. So I got to get those like mailed back to me or something. Did they uh, find them? Uh, not a long story. I uh, I didn't know what to wear. And you weren't there with me. You weren't there. So I didn't know. I'm like, oh, Sarah's not here. I don't know how to dress. Because you're going on stage. And, you know, Dennis, Dennis Miller dresses well, so you want to look good. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I stopped by uh, the, uh, the station. All my dry cleaning was here. And I took, like, nine shirts with me. And I went there. And I'm like, Laura, tell me what to wear. You know, and, I, and then, I, you know, I, I picked the one to wear that night. And I left all the rest hanging in the hotel room closet, which I then, uh, you know, I, of course, didn't bring them home. Because <laughs> why would I want to bring them home? So I left. Why would you want to keep your clothing? Right. So I left like four hundred dollars worth of uh, shirts hanging in my hotel room uh, closet. Anyway, so I got to get those sent back to me. Um, Jesus. All right. Other stuff to get to. We're going to be talking to Lisa Desjardins uh, here in just a moment. Theoretically speaking. Richie Bristol, will you do me a favor? Will you give uh, CNN a uh, a jingle and see uh, what is an area man yeah, wants to know what the deal is? That we're all right with Lisa. Yeah. So uh, if you want to give uh, Lisa a call, that would be fantastic. I mean, I'm not trying to nag. I know that maybe sometimes it sounds like we nag the CNN people, which really isn't it. It's just that I hate to launch into something else, and then Lisa calls, and then i got to interrupt that, and then she feels like she's butting in or whatever. So I'm going to try to figure out the deal. Uh, all right, so we've got uh, some uh, email to get to. We have a few more stories uh, from Rockfest that happened on Friday, including... Is that thing Anything where... having to do with Timmy Ryan? <sighs> i got two things to do with Timmy Ryan. One is... 
Did you see, well, first of all, we were talking about how great Adam Carolla was, and he really was great. You know, Adam uh, does the morning show on KUFO, and he, uh, you know, he flew out and meeting listeners and clients and, you know, doing meet and greet, you know, the, the schmooze, as they say, and then he was going on stage. He went on stage with Court and Fatboy, I think, at one point. It was all, it's all very cool. But here's a great thing. You know, we've talked about uh, backstage writers and stuff in your contract. Like when I, I demand uh, a football helmet filled with cream cheese in my dressing room. And we have had a lot of fun on the show sort of reading those things and letting you know, like, what celebrities want backstage and whatever. And I've never really figured out what I would ask for. And I think maybe that's a whole high concept topic for another time is like, what would you ask for in your backstage writer? Do you know what Corolla wants backstage? Corolla gets his own toilet anywhere he goes. And I don't mean like a bathroom, you know, that like, you know, says Adam only. I mean, like they bring a toilet in for him. Uh, it is it, Adam, I took a picture of the sticker on the front. It's so great. It was cool. Uh, the best thing ever. And I don't know whether it's like, you know, he's just kind of a germ guy or whether he... Uh, or, I guess he's an infamous germaphobe. Well, I mean, who can blame him? I think Tim Riley, uh, Tim can probably uh, can, can commiserate on that point. But so Adam Carolla has his own toilet backstage. And I think there is a pretty great photograph. That's it right there. You got yep. a photograph of it. I think there's a photograph, actually, of Adam, like, sticking, Adam Carolla sticking his head out of his bathroom. And it is, and it says in big letters, like, Adam Carolla only. Yep. So the idea that the guy has his own toilet that nobody else can use is, like, beyond righteous. Um, speaking of, uh, let me see if Chris Paddock is here. Let me see if I can buzz Chris Paddock. I want to make sure that I tell this next story correctly. And it is bathroom humor, quite literally. So I'm going to make sure that I get it there. Hello. Hey, Dave Zinn. This is Rick. Is Chris Paddock around? Can you throw me to him? Here you go. Thank you. Let's see if Chris is here. Chris Paddock, uh, program director. Chris? Chris Paddock, Rick Emerson. How are you? Oh, hello. Hi there, Rick Emerson. Hey, um, so um, can I ask you uh, about this business of the muffin and the bathroom and our friend Timmy Ryan? Oh, absolutely. Because I only sort of... I only sort of know the story, uh, and I want to make sure that it gets told correctly. Well, I, I, here's here's Tim's way of approaching things. He wanted to really sell the show, and one of the things we were proud of this year at Rockfest Lucky Number Thirteen were the Porta Johns. Um, and he wanted to let everyone know these were spick and span, super clean Porta Johns, and to prove that point. He then uh, placed a muffin that uh, was then put on the floor of the Porta John, and then he ate the muffin off the floor. <laughs> wow. Wow. So this is Timmy Ryan. This is sort of a. Uh, How many beers into the night was that one? This was early in the day. This is before gates even opened. And I actually, I'm more. I feel more sorry for the person that had to use the portageon that he ate ate off of. I so, mean, it was already soiled. So this is sort of like when the uh, when the uh, Kirby vacuum guy comes in and dumps uh, <laughs> crap on your carpet yeah. so he can vacuum it up. Timmy Ryan, this bathroom floor is so clean. I Timmy Ryan will eat off of it. Yeah, he's like that guy that's always like you know soaking things in red wine and vinegar and then dumping you know uh, OxyClean on it. Totally, totally. Yeah, he uh, he's he's a trooper that kid. Uh, I will tell you this. Uh, I would never do that. No, no, that's uh, my team spirit only goes so far. Yeah, that's really pushing the envelope. Uh, th- again, I think we might have audio of it. I mean, if you want to hear it, we can always dig it up. I but, might, uh, yeah, yeah, I might, I might try to play the later on if we can track yeah, it down. Yeah, it's so. worth, it's worth hearing. I was just gonna, you know, the, I was just saying earlier, I was rhapsodizing uh, in my own flowery style about the Kid Rock Reverend Run thing and just how unbelievably yeah, cool that was. Right. Uh, Chris uh, and his wife uh, Tracy were there on Saturday with uh, Laura and I at Dennis Miller and so afterward we were just kind of hanging out having a beverage or whatever after the show and 
Tracy and Lara are, you know, sort of patiently smiling at us as Chris and I are just sitting there nerding each other into a frenzy <laughs> all over again about the Kid Rock Reverend Run thing. There were two conversations going on at that table. It yeah. was really actually kind of funny so, to see. And, and Chris and I just, that was so cool. It was the it, best thing I've ever seen. It really was incredible. Yeah. And I, actually, uh, Lil McGregor, who helps us produce the show over at Columbia Meadows, and a big thank you to him, uh, he just got off the phone with me. He says, I am so glad that we got to share the moment of watching Kid Rock and Rev Run do Walk This Way it, it was, and watch it from the side of the stage. It was unbelievable. And I uh, I was sort of off to the side. I was kind of by that sort of wooden fence area. But as Kid Rock and, and Run were walking to the stage, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't want to get, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to bother him as they're getting ready to go on. But I, but just to see them, and as Sarah said, see him walking by holding that hat, yes. you know, and wearing those Adidas, oh, yeah, and you're like, like a platter. That's oh, so neat. And you're just like, this is, and and it's that moment where you kind of, you know, I don't mean to be all gushy about it and to get all, you know, because I'm a hopeless romantic about music as as you are in many ways, but you. You know, but you, but you do get to a certain point. You're like, oh, I've seen it all. I've heard it. All. I've been everywhere. Nothing. I'm jaded. You know, and you kind of view right. yourself as like a cynical rock soldier or whatever. But then a moment like that happens, and you think to yourself, Is that real? Am I really seeing you know Run from Run DMC walk by like 20 yards away from me? It's it's surreal. Yeah, it, it really, really is. And, you know, and I actually got to see him just before he uh, before Kid Rock took the stage, and they were standing next to you know Kid Rock's in this white running track outfit and then uh you know and rev runs in the in this full you know uh rev run yeah. outfit and, and and all all in black and i'm like my god i'm like what is happening right now oh. where where am i <laughs> exactly all right uh, congratulations on a uh fantastic righteous successful glorious rock fest thank so. you very much and thanks to everybody who showed up and uh we'll do we'll try to do it again soon thank you all right there you go Bye. chris paddock rock 101 kufo all right so richie bristol is we have Lisa on hold on the other line. Apparently, we have a second warm line that we've installed, uh, and Lisa, I guess, was getting a busy signal. All right, there we go. So that is then Lisa Desjardins. So is the warm line not installed? I don't know. We'll figure it out during the break. We'll fix it in post. Not saying everything like Dennis Miller. Calm down. All right. Uh, welcome back. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill, CNN Radio Correspondent. This day is already going like 100 miles an hour. Have you noticed that? Lisa Desjardins, Hello. Hi guys. Hey, sorry about the unpleasantness just now. I uh, we have a second. Richie probably told you this. We got a second warm line installed. Right. Which cool. theoretically should mean no one ever gets a busy signal. And then of course the irony is you just got a busy signal. <laughs> so there you go. It's uh, our way of making the day memorable, Lisa. Well, I thank you for that. Uh, all right. Um, I know that you hate it when I start things off on just a salacious and negative tip, uh, because I know. Here, can I just tell you this? Am I wrong about this? That you um. How do I put this? Uh, I sometimes feel, and I don't mean to make you feel awkward with this, this analogy or okay. a, a simile or whatever it is, a metaphor, a thing. I sometimes uh, feel as though you are sort of uh, like a, you're sort of like one of those super teachers, like in one of those movies where you're like, uh, you know, you're in like the rough neighborhood trying to get the kids to care. <laughs> And then, and, you know, and then you do something of, like, teaching them history, but you use, like, a rap song to do it, and then, like, the like kids Michelle know... Like Pfeiffer, so, perhaps, in Dangerous Minds? Exactly. You know, or, like, Mr. Holland's Opus, where he's like, kids, let me teach you about a little mu music using a little thing called <laughs> rock and roll. And then the kids go, hey, Mr. Holland is one of us. That's I rejected knowledge before, but now I'm willing to learn. <laughs> so I sometimes feel like you are the super teacher, and I am like the, uh, I'm like the, whatever, like the barrio kid who you're trying to reach. Because oh. <laughs> because I'm because I'm bright, but I just I just have the wrong outlook. 
Right. <laughs> and so you want to come on and talk about politics as a force for positive change and think the best or whatever. And I don't, you know, and I'm just sort of relentlessly negative about everything. That being said, um, I got to tell you, man, uh, Sarah Palin, I don't know whether it's her or the folks around her. Yeah. But, man, that's a woman. You don't want to mess with her because you and everybody you know will end up in garbage bags. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely have that impression that you do not want to mess with her, and I really am intrigued. I thought Saturday Night Live was great, uh, their opening, and I, I really am intrigued by the idea of a Palin-Hillary Clinton matchup. Oh, wow. It's... Like in, in, in any forum, any kind of game, contest, match, politics, chess, whatever. That's like a Gamera versus Zegra kind of a thing there. It's a crazy matchup, yes. Uh, so the, the SNL thing was great. Um, you know, they... They took, I think, equal shots at both of them. Uh, the woman, what was her name, Sarah? The woman who plays Hillary? Uh, Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. Uh, you know, she was really good. She gets overshadowed by Tina Fey, obviously, but uh, yeah, because because Tina Fey, as you may have already said on the show, I mean, freakishly looked and sounded just like just like Sarah Palin. Her inflection and everything, it was uncanny. It was. It was. It was like you, I was constantly doing a double take. It was amazing. The thing about Sarah Palin, or rather Tina Fey as Sarah Palin, it's sort of like Pierce Brosnan as Bond. It just had to happen eventually. It was inevitable. You know, there was just no getting around the fact that it was going to happen. Um, I, I think. I think that's right. And, and apparently, there. You know, one of our reporters who travels with Sarah Palin sent out a note that someone with the Palin team had told them that. For Halloween, Sarah Palin at some point had dressed up as Tina Fey. That's fantastic. So uh, by, I, I don't know, but it's just one of those somebody said to somebody to somebody. You know, she is uh, Sarah Palin, uh, as we often say on this program, she is a classy girl. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the new photograph, and it's not fake, by the way. It's not like that bikini gun thing that's going around on her. Right. There is the best photograph uh, of Sarah Palin, and of course, it is where all good things are. It's in the National Enquirer. Oh. It is a photograph of Sarah Palin. I don't know if she's pregnant or if she just liked to eat a lot of, like, zingers at some point. But it's Sarah Palin, big 80s hair, big spongy body. And then Sarah Palin is wearing a shirt, I swear to you, our vice presidential nominee for the Republican ticket is wearing a shirt that says, I may be broke, but I'm not flat busted. Yes. And you see, it's like she's on a dorm room. Uh, looks like she might be in a dorm room. Yeah. On her bed, something, yeah. kind of hanging out. Yeah. Uh, really, all that's missing is a photograph of her and all her friends cramming their face into the frame, shoving Cosmo glasses at the camera. Yeah. Yes. Well, now, this, now that photo was part of, um, I think I emailed both you guys last week, and it got taken down really quickly. Time Magazine had what I thought was just a bizarre and hilarious, and it just didn't make any sense, video that they had put up a parody about Sarah Palin that was, you know, Full of of uh, innuendo, full of you know. I think I think the title of it. I've got to pull it up somewhere, but the title of it was like you know. I wanted I want to drill down uh, to your oil, and it, it was. But Time yes, Magazine, very Time Magazine, yes, had actually put it up, and and uh, it was it was gone very quickly. But that picture was in that. She did the best little thing, and you let me know by the way how long you have here, because I know we got we got on kind of late today. I know we kind of got signals crossed on this end. Yeah, another minute. Oh, okay. Uh, then I will just say real quickly, and then we'll have to pick this up. Are you on tomorrow? I am on tomorrow. All right, I'll pick it up then. I'm going to say uh, she's a street fighter, though, because, you know, the name of the game uh, in politics, as in all sports, is to, uh, you know, the mental game, get inside the guy's head beforehand. Uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, like Ali, you know, before 74, just kind of, uh, you know, trying to play the, you know, I'm going to dance doing that whole game against Foreman. 
where, where, and you saw this probably, Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin said Friday she thinks Barack Obama regrets not making Hillary Clinton his running mate. Right. Boy, that's a little Joe Biden. Let me just cut those off and put them in a jar. <laughs> I know. I'm poor Joe Biden. I mean, he's got some great lines on the campaign trail, but... All anyone will talk about with Joe Biden is the times that he messes up because because there's enough of them. Here's the thing. He has to come out in the debate. He has to come out, and he just has to bare-knuckle her. I mean, he just has to. I mean, there's just no getting around it. There's, trying to sort of be clever about it and to sort of take shots at her without taking shots at her is not going to work at this point. He yeah, and I, but I think she's laid, she's opened the door for that. I, th- I think that that's, I mean, she, she's definitely, uh, you know, not like a, a Libby Dole figure that you're kind of like, ooh, ah. Yeah. No, no I, I think I think she's I think she's kind of said bring it on. I think I think that it's fair for both sides to just go at it. Yeah, no, he's got to be uh, Michael Corleone going go into the bathroom and uh, getting the figurative gun from behind the toilet. Oh no, and then just come out popping him right in the brain. That's what I'm saying. All right, I know I know you got to run. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you okay, so much great. for tolerating this. Thank Bye. you. Bye now. There you go, Lisa Deja. Right. Richie Bristol, can you come to the studio for just one second? Thank you. Oh, I'm gonna figure out the deal with this phone. All right. Inhale, exhale, in through the nose, out through the mouth. Welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show, our intrepid PA, Richie Bristol. Hey, it's a righteous shirt you got there, V for Vendetta shirt. Yes, one of my favorite. You know, you That's know, cool, Richie. I've never seen you wear that. You know, really? I told you a million times, you know the shirt you have that I love is that one that says Viva McRib. Oh, yeah. I love that shirt so much. That's a great shirt. I'm not asking for it. Really, I'm really not because it wouldn't fit me anyway probably, but I'm just saying I'm going to go on eBay one of these days and find one of those Viva McRib shirts. I just love that. Oh, here's the other thing at Rockfest. So you missed, I think you were gone by this point, Sarah. You missed uh, in that sort of the KU of the tech trailer where we were all kind of hanging out, the KUFO trailer. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, you missed about nine guys from the KUFO street team standing in a circle, literally taking like ten minutes to talk about McRib and just how great it was. And, uh, you know, McDonald's, of course, one of our many fine advertisers. I knew uh, I left too early. But there's... But they, the, but so there's like all these like dudes, and they're all dudes, you know. I mean, not bad. It's young dudes, uh, and they're all in the street team get up. And I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to Cheryl and Bridget and Lars there, and all the street team guys are there. The one street team guy goes, dude, did you see the McRib is back? And he says it, like, not ironically at all, like, totally straight ahead. And the other guy goes, no way. And then they just start, like, a ten-minute discussion of how great it is that McRib is back. It was just so – I wish I'd been running tape on it. It was just fantastic. <laughs> um, all right, so what is the deal with the, with the guest line? Oh, um, well, right now I have a, my own extension that works. Right. transfer to our hotline. And eventually... But it doesn't roll over? No, not yet. Brian's so working on it. So if the warm line is busy right now, it's not rolling over. They're still no. going to get a busy signal. No, but at least it, I think it could pops upstairs or over to Kink or something. If it pops upstairs, they could transfer it to me on the other one. I love the idea that it goes over to Kink. Yeah. We're in a separate building. The good thing is it goes to Kink. In a whole separate quadrant of town. Ta- they're in... I mean, they're... All right. Whatever. Anywho, uh, so uh, there you go. So it goes over to Kink right now. But okay, so, uh, and then you know, 2 o'clock sales guy, and then at 115, you have Bob Ralston's contact info? I forwarded you that email. Then I do. You should look. Let me know, make sure, because we can't not talk to him again here. He'll kill us. So, uh, and we can't be killed by the guy who played uh, Oregon for Lawrence Welk. Will you check and make sure you got Bob Ralston's number? Yes. All right. Back after this, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Later on, Bob Ralston from the Lawrence Welk Show. We'll have our first birth of a salesman in studio. And Jim Roop, stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Why? 
Emerson Radio Program. Oh, also, you know what I bought on the uh, on the way to Spirit Mountain? There was a whole day. First of all, we stopped at a Dairy Queen on the way there. I haven't been to a Dairy Queen in like 12 years. It's fantastic. Uh, and then right next to the Dairy Queen, a place called Real Good Jerky. And let me tell you, first of all, they had like 35 different kinds of jerky. I mean, it was every kind. I mean, it was just like a whole. It just stretched off to the horizon. Well, I'll make some salmon garlic jerky, and it's wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, did you hear one about the Gresham Gator? Yes, it's an alligator in Gresham. People thought it was just a large lizard <laughs> wandering around this popular hiking trail in the Gresham. So, uh, they've been hearing reports about this creature for weeks. So Friday they nabbed what turned out to be a three-foot-long alligator. Alligator. Hmm? Oh, alligator. I barely knew her. There we go. A couple hiking the Springwater Trail found their path blocked by the gator and called 911. Speaking of the 911 calls, this is fairly interesting. You probably won't hear anything like this again. I came across this uh, over the weekend. A poochie is being hailed as a hero for calling for help when his human pal was in danger. Police in Arizona say Buddy, an 18-month-old German shepherd, had been trained to dial 911 if its owner suffers a seizure. Well, when Buddy hears the operator say 911, what is your emergency? He puts down the phone and whimpers. Listen. Hello? Can you hear me? We have help coming. Hello? That was it. That wasn't really a whimper so much. It was like a throat clearing. That was strange because the other one I heard, the dog was barking. Well, that's pretty adorable either way, though. It is. Insert observation about how cat wouldn't help you, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, it is true. But, it, but first of all, I mean, it just kind of that's another thing that just sort of warps your brain if you think about it too much, the fact that you can train an animal to die on Lyme on one when you're having a seizure. Mm-hmm. There's something really weird about that. Also, here's another weird thing about dogs is that, I mean, this is a no, this is a scientific fact, and I think probably is part of this story. You know that dogs actually can be trained to alert their owners to when they are about to have a seizure before the owner even knows it. Oh, that is smart. It's the weirdest thing. And I think it has to do with, like, they sense a change in your perspiration or something. They sense that it's like your scent changes because you start to, there's like a chemical that gets released. But they actually, if you are, I think it's a, a specific kind of epilepsy. And they will give you a, uh, a companion dog, and the dog will actually tell you when you are about to have a seizure, but before it actually starts. So, like, when a dog senses that a seizure is coming, he'll be like, rawr, 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 you know, whatever, seizure, bark. Uh, and you have, so you have a chance to call 911 mm-hmm. and to be like, hey, I'm about to have a seizure. How do you know? My dog just told me. It's not crazy. So that's just, that's a whole weird, and yeah, nature's effed up, man. That doesn't make any sense at all. And darn it, we missed getting a tour of the cuckoo's nest over the weekend. I know, it sucks. The Oregon State Hospital J Building, made famous in the 1975 Jack Nicholson film. One floor of the cuckoo's nest was open over the weekend for a tour to visitors. And this is the first time they got to look inside. State employees guided about 200. I wonder how they chose them. 200 people. They showed the decaying section of the building and the sprawling tunnels underneath it. Oh, damn where it. Some patients had to live. Darn it, how do we miss it? At least 600 more people have said they would like the tour, but it is not certain if the Department of Human Services will provide another. How can we find that out and how can we do it? Uh, well, uh, somebody sent me a link, actually, to the tour website. And I guess there's like a... 
if enough people sign up for it in advance, they'll do another one. But they want to make sure they don't do it again, and there's like five people show up. So I, I would have gone. I really would have, because somebody told me a listener's like, hey, it was the last weekend. But again, I had Rockfest Friday, uh, you know, Dennis Miller Saturday, didn't come back till Sunday, and I, I just had no chance to do it. It sucks. So they tell us the front sections of the J building that include its distinctive tower will be preserved. The rest will be demolished to make way for the 620-bed state-of-the-art facility scheduled to be completed in 2011. Portland police called to a home in the 14,000 block of Northeast Gleason early yesterday morning after a report of a man with a gun. When officers arrived, they were informed that a domestic altercation occurred at the home and a 31-year-old man involved in the ruckus was armed with a handgun. I heard a ruckus. They evacuated several people, including children, but the man identified as Garvin Franklin remained armed and barricaded. Uh, eventually, they took him into custody in the morning. Oh, some uh, school vandals have smashed every window at the high school in Napa, wherever that is. More than 100 double-pane windows have been broken. So uh, let's get to this uh, financial disaster going on mm. in America right now. If you have stock, well, don't worry about it. Uh, Bank- only, only worry if you have Citadel stock. Oh, I have the Citadel story. That's for later. I'm saving that one for later. Okay. Anyway, so let's get to the big stuff that everyone can identify with. Bank of America will buy Merrill Lynch, another of America's top investment banks, has found itself in dire financial straits. The V of A chairman, Ken Lewis, made the move official this morning at a news conference saying the partnership between B of A and Merrill Lynch and its uh, 60,000 employees is an ideal fit. This combination of Bank of America and Merrill Lynch brings together two-story brands and creates a company unrivaled in its breadth of financial services and global reach. It's going to be terrific. With this transaction, we get the premier brokerage and asset management firm, including approximately 50% ownership stake in BlackRock, over 16,000 financial advisors, and a strong private bank. They'll break your legs. Uh, So that's the first part of this. Now we have Lehman Brothers. Uh, Their employees had little to say this morning as the 158-year-old brokerage firm files for bankruptcy. These long-term workers say they're not sure what's going to happen to them next. It's just really sad, you know. I mean, the whole thing's just quite sad. So I I, I really don't want to talk to anybody. I mean, the whole thing's really upsetting. Hopefully, jobs will be saved. Kind of sad. So uh, golf outing giveaways and coffee mugs from Merrill Lynch and Lehman Brothers are moving on the market today. On eBay, uh, Lehman Coffee Mugs are fetching up to $40 per cup, while a green and white duffel bag is uh, bid at $150. That's a gold-toned blazer button goes for $13. That's like all that Enron stuff was on eBay after they went under. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't even remember if it was here or if it was somewhere else. You know, we used to work with somebody who came from Enron. And I, I don't remember who it was, and I probably wouldn't say his name anyway. He probably wouldn't be known as that, the Enron guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we uh, but we used, to, uh, we used to work with a guy, and I was like, hey, where were you before this? He's like... I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. And, you know, he's just some guy, one of a billion employees. But, he didn't, you know, that's got to be weird when you put that on your resume. Last last employer, Enron. So, um, all right. Just for you. Citadel Broadcasting Corporation has announced that the company received a notice that it has fallen below the continued listing criteria relating to the minimum price to be on the New York Stock Exchange. That's too bad. Citadel's price is now... 88 cents a share. Really? How's that Radio Disney format working out for you? Is that saving you lots of money? Huh? Huh? Happy? So the company that had no business buying ABC Radio. (laughs) The company which overextended itself and will now have his knees uh, pulverized. It it owns 165 FM and 58 AM stations in the nation's least market. And it owns ABC Radio. Including some decent stations that they're... 
Well, they're pushing into the ground right now. And you get the idea that Citadel just went in and they're like, uh, what do you got for sale? Uh, ABC Radio. Put it on the card. We put this on the card? Yeah. Put it on ABC Radio. How much is it? $5 billion. How are we going to make this payment? <laughs> sure we can do it this month if we float a couple of checks. <laughs> totally. What's a, hey, what's a, what's a balloon payment? I don't, all right, never mind. Just put it, yeah, we'll take it. We'll figure out how to pay for it. Make the employees bring their own toilet paper. <laughs> exactly. So what they get for firing me, Tim? Uh, all right. You know, if they believed in the Rick Emerson brand, all of this wouldn't be happening. Uh, let's see here. Let's, uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Who might this be? Uh, this is Joel. Joel, who? Richard, you might remember me from months ago as the Cornhole Guy. Uh, yeah, the, the game, Cornhole, oh, where, one, where one tosses a bag of uh, whatnot through a thing. Correct. Yes, yes. Hello, sir. How can I how can I assist you today? Well, I was just calling to say uh, I am the, and I promise I'm the plug and I won't, um, I am the owner of the bar that uh, Sarah worked at. Oh, excellent. He is indeed. And she did a glorious job. So you, she's an exceptional gal, isn't she? It was great, and I believe she made me my last drink. Unfortunately, by the time she got there, I'd already been drinking for about four or five hours. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she did great. Let me ask you this. Student has become the master. Uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. So you hire every barbacks, bartenders, all that stuff. You you do the, all the hiring and, and whatnot, or the overseeing anyway. Well, it's, if I don't do the hiring, it's at least passed by me because my business partner will often do that. So here's the question I have for you: In a post uh, 1987 world, do you get everybody who comes in and they want to start throwing stuff in the air and juggling things while they're making drinks? Uh, no. I mean, because that wouldn't last very long, I would think. I think you'd, if some guy tried to do that, you'd, you'd broom him right out. Uh, yeah, there's only one place in town I know that does that, and they try to do it as a shtick. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I would never do that. The only time I've ever seen that done successfully was at a bar in Vegas whose name I forget. But, that was, but again, that was their whole deal. Is it like, you know, come on in and see our juggling bartenders. It seems like such a waste of alcohol because it seems like it gets everywhere. And unless you're doing really, really, really well, it's it's a disaster, right? Unless you're unless you are flawless, it looks terrible. So good for you, sir. All right. Not well, only does it do really poorly, but it's pretty much every bar in Vegas does that. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to hearing uh, more amusing anecdotes from your fine establishment. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Bye, Joel. Thank you. All right, there you go, Joel. Excellent, wonderful. Yeah, oh, before friend. I forget, it's going to be 94 degrees today. God damn, oh, really? Man. Yeah, it sucks. It's not going to get back down to the 80s till Wednesday. Not till the 70s till Thursday. I don't mean to be another guy complaining about the weather, but my, I think my whole thing about this year is I, I wish that it's like summer never really arrived. Yes. But it's like it never really was cool enough to, you know, it was just like sporadic. It was like, uh, it was like, uh, you know what it was? It was like a poorly, it was like a poorly blended, uh, uh, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. I don't know. It's, 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 it's crap is what it is. Because, you know, because it's like cool, 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 blisteringly hot, back to being cold, then it rains, then it's hot again. Then it's cool, but in, insufferably humid. Then it's cold. Then it's hailing. Then there's lightning. Then it's hot. And you're, and you're just like inside with like post-traumatic stress disorder. Going, I don't know what to do. And you never know. You know, and you, you leave the house dressed because it's going to be warm. And then there's toads falling out of the sky. It's just uh, it's, it's ass is what it is, Tim. Well, I find if I close the shutters in the house, that keeps it from becoming a terrarium. Totally. And I didn't turn the on the air conditioner on. I didn't turn on the air conditioner. I got to go home. No, that's going to be so fun. hot. Turn on. Lucky to have AC. Go home and air condition the dog. Uh, but let me. Oh, by the way, speaking of speaking of air conditioning the dog, which sounds like code for something. But let me talk about that, and then I'll say this thing about uh, the sun. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Dog. Man, story about the sun. Uh, no, just a, just a little thing. Um, so first of all, 
uh, if you were wondering exactly, uh, if you're exactly wondering uh, how lame uh, and uh, yuppified some of us occasionally become, so we went to uh, Spirit Mountain on Saturday. And uh, you know, they, you know, there's no no pets there. You know, they don't uh, they don't they don't take pets right now. So we went up. Uh, we went to Rockfest Friday, and then Saturday we went. Uh, we left in the afternoon to go to Spirit Mountain to see Dennis Miller. And so we had to. And, and normally the people that I would have Max stay with, they weren't here. Like Zinn is, you know, usually really good about Max could stay with me, but he was gone. And I didn't want to ambush Sarah at the last minute because I knew you were working. And I don't want to be like, you know, because, uh, Sarah, we all have a fairly good relationship, but it's like if you let somebody watch your dog and then it destroys something valuable, then there's tension. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to ask Sarah to do this. So I, so we boarded him, and I won't mention the place, but we, we boarded Max at a place, and, and Laura comes back to the car because I just stayed out in the car. And so she takes Max in, and she, she comes back out to the car, and she's like, I paid $5 extra um, for butler service for Max, and also I paid more for they're going to give him a massage. And I'm like, what? They're going to what? And she's like, I, I paid more for them to give. So my wife paid more for, quote, butler service for our dog. I don't butler even know what it means. Service I, butler service. I didn't even ask. I don't even know. Don't call and tell me because I don't want to know. Uh, and then she paid more for the dog to get a goddamned massage at some point during it. And don't get me wrong. I love my dog. He's great. Wonderful. Whatever makes his life better. You know, it's fine with me. But... But I'm like, you paid for the dog to get a massage. This is truly like, that's when we become just, that is the ultimate American thing right there. Don't you think? Yeah. Some guy living in Croatia eating a pile of pebbles for dinner. We're paying to have our dog given butler treatment and a massage. Um, and so she goes, well, it was, it was really sad. There was all these dogs barking inside. And it occurred to me that, you know, the place we went to, it basically looks like a maze full of cubicles. You can't see any of the dogs. You know, it's like, I guess because they don't want them seeing people and getting all ramped up. But it occurred to me, who knows, they might not even be real dogs. They might just be playing a recording of whimpering dogs over the sound system so you feel bad and pay for your dog to get a rub down while he's there. You know, they might just have a, like a tape to play. You know, and you're like, oh, give him, here's $20. Give him a, play play with the ball. You know, so anyway, so there you go. That's my life. Uh, paying for my dog to get a massage. I remember the last time I had a massage. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. That was the first thought. I'm like, when you him, you paid for a massage for yourself. Seriously. Uh, anyway, and so then, but then we're at Spirit Mountain, and I got to say this, uh, you know, the, the fine advertiser and whatever, but it's a great, it really is, it, it, it's a great place. And so I would be saying this anyway, even though they are a client, I would be saying this. They, their rooms, man, man, they got like the plushest rooms. Uh, and when like they gave me some special like Rick Emerson room, I mean, the rooms are just great. But you know what they have there? They have those drapes. They're like those Spanish-style drapes where it's like it blocks out every every micrometer of the sun. I mean, because we, we slept, you know, we stayed up really late Saturday night because Lara was off uh, losing uh, apparently what was an unbelievable amount of money at the craps table. Like so much that she didn't even want to tell me and I didn't ask. Sort of a don't ask, don't tell. I'm sitting there in the hotel room just eating bad nachos and watching television. She, she comes back to the room. She's like, she's like oh, I'm going to go to bed now. And I said, hey, how was Because she's usually a very good craps player. Way better than any than anybody I know. And I said, "Hey, how was the craft table?" She's like, "I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to sleep." And I thought, "Oh, okay." And so I, she didn't tell me how much she lost, and I didn't ask. But she did say this. The last thing Lara says before she turns up the light, she goes, "Oh, by the way, if if, uh, if work calls, uh, tell them yes to any overtime they ask about." <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, okay. I don't want to know how much." Um, but so we got to sleep real late. We slept pretty late. We, you know, we slept till you know late for us, and we slept till like ten or something. Uh, but the sun is, and the sun is facing our room. But those curtains are so wonderful and thick. It's like you're in a sarcophagus. I mean, the room was pitch black, no light at all. 
And then, uh, you know, she gets up before I do. So, so what does she do? She just walks over to the window and just, whoosh, just throws open the drapes. And suddenly I feel like, a, you know, suddenly I feel like a Angelus, you know, thrown out in the middle of the uh, the noonday sun. It's a whole lot of unpleasant. But those drapes are the best invention. I got to get those at like at my house. Those drapes that just completely block out every every inch of light. They're That'd fantastic. Be what we have in here, isn't it? Well, those drapes are really nice, but I get the I get the sense if you put a strong light behind those, you, it still filter through a little bit. Mm. These drapes, and they have those they have those in Spain too, those big wooden shutters that you go and they just block out the light. See those? Yeah, they're great. Yeah. So, all right, here's Tim Riley. Uh, so getting back to this uh, this other story here, let's see what did I have? The Sarah Palin thing. Here she is again, uh, talking. The governor says integrity must be restored to the financial market so Americans feel better about it. This crisis is an issue of real concern, not only for those in our financial markets, but for the people across this great country. Uh-huh. Uh, she agrees with the president on his Lehman Brothers decision, whatever that is. And I'm glad to see that in this case, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury have said no to using taxpayer money to bail out another one. But didn't we just do that? I... I know people don't want to know. Well, I was about to open my mouth and say something that I'm just going to say this. I don't know a lot about a lot. Uh, I know a little about some. It seems to me, Tim, tell me if, if my assessment of this is correct. Mm-hmm. It does seem to me that uh, and I don't wish to be, you know, we don't have to talk a lot about this because uh, we try to keep it light and peppy here. But, you know, and nobody wants to sit and talk about like how everything is just in the dumper, which it clearly is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, dude, we are... Uh, For those of you who missed the 70s, you're about to get a treat. They're coming back. I mean, buy a locking gas cap, kids, and own a shotgun. Um, so, as Diana Christensen says in, in Network, where does this put us? Uh, this puts us in the S house. This is where that this puts us. So, thing, things are bad. Um, and it would seem to me, and I only say this because there's so much, like, fighting and screeching about taxes in this presidential election. My opponent will raise your taxes by whatever... See, am I wrong about this, Tim, when I say we are in just such a freaking financial trench because of this last eight years of just insanity and a war we couldn't possibly have paid for? Correct. Um, I mean, we're like, like we, like it, we have to raise taxes. That's the only way we're going to get out of it. Correct. I mean, everybody has to pay more taxes. That's well, just well, it. That's is, just the fact. If they don't raise them on the federal level, they do it on the local level, like they did here in in Portland before. I mean. And I only say this because this seems to be my layman's take, Tim. And you know more about money than probably most of the other people uh, here in this building, and certainly more than most people on this show. Um, you and Richie are sort of the financial brain trust. Sarah and I uh, live out of suitcases and eat out of uh, packets. So, But it almost seems to me like if some guy's like, I'm not going to raise taxes, that just seems irresponsible. I mean, because right now we got, let's put it in simple terms, you got this piece of furniture uh, and you got you know a loan to buy it, and you get all the you got the the principal, and then you get all the interest. And it seems right now we're only barely even trying to pay off part of the interest. And if we're going to start paying off the principal, like everybody's just going to have to pay more taxes. That's just the way it goes. Right. And if somebody says, if somebody tells you this fall that he's not going to raise taxes, it seems like that guy's probably not smart enough to be running the government. But here's what's happened over like the past week. Like I don't know if anybody noticed this, but both parties. And begin to act like politicians again. Yeah. I mean, everyone was, we're going to clean up Washington. But we don't care about cleaning up Washington. We want medical care. Right. And we want something done about the deficit. We want something done about jobs. All of a sudden, both the Republicans and the Democrats are saying the same. We're going to fix everything up in Washington. Uh, you know, uh, they're, they're appealing to their base, all saying the same thing. And it's because 
they've run out of the good things to say because we're too close to the election. Totally, totally. And they've just run out of things to say. Yeah, no, they. So they're playing it safe. It, you know, it's just going to be a matter of time before they get back to their basics again, which they're all doing. I just, you know, if somebody would just get up there and say, "Look, uh, our country is going busto." Uh, somebody, James Carville said this great thing actually back in the '92 election. You see this in the documentary, The War Room, when he was. Uh, I should play this sound by, but he was talking about he was talking about George W. Bush, and uh, you know, and he and he said, you know, he said uh, if George Bush thinks he can fix the economy, you know, if he th if he because George Bush was like listing all these things he was going to do. This is the first Bush forty one, and he was like, I'm going to fix, you know, we're going to have a stronger economy, we're going to have a better workforce, we're going to have better health care. And Carville said, look, if if we thought he could do all that, Clinton would quit the race right now. And Carville summed it up in one sentence. He says. Your country is going el busto. Mm -hmm. Fix it, and if you can't, get out of the way. And it's, it's like... But the two-party system can't fix anything. No, no, the two-party system is fundamentally stupid and useless and broken and flawed and pointless right. and whatever. Um, but it's like if some guy tells you right now that he's not going to raise your taxes, that's like the guy... The, the guy right now running for office on either side who says he's not going to raise your taxes, that's like the guy who says... And let me tell you something, you'll be able to eat 6,000 calories a day and never exercise, and the pounds are going to melt away. That's a lie. I mean, uh, so anybody who says uh, that we don't need to raise taxes is probably not that bright and shouldn't be voted for. I mean, you know, you got to fix it, man. So, so uh, here we go again. Both parties are saying just about the same thing that Sarah Palin is saying in this. So she's not alone, but the Democrats are doing it, too. It is time now to change the way the government operates. We're changing our case for reform to voters of every background, the love of God. in every party or no party at all. And with your vote, we're going to Washington to shake things up. What does that? Uh, never mind. See, I... it's because we're getting close to the election and people are playing it safe. And this is what Lisa was talking about on Friday. Lisa said, you know. And again, this is for both sides because Obama does the same thing. They're both you know? doing the same thing with taxes. You know, it's not just the basic crap. Time for hope. Well, you know, and Obama had that line where he said that prayer is not a health care system. You know what? Hope isn't uh, hope isn't an economic strategy, friend. Right. So uh, the, the change is not is not a way to fix the stupid, broken economy. And so for both sides of this, you want somebody to sit them down and go, OK, look, uh, you say you're going to reform things. What does that mean specifically? Don't talk about, you can give me these vague answers and this sort of puffery. Tell me specifically how you're going to decrease unemployment. Like, give me a specific answer. And you want to do the same thing for Barack Obama. You want to put, okay, hope, great. We're all, everybody loves hope. Uh, how is it that you're going to make sure that we have 40 million people with no health care becomes maybe 20 million people with no health care? What, what specifically are you going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do? What's the first phone call you're going to make? But neither party will give you that because both parties are fundamentally broken and inefficient. But what's happened this time, you know, the general public is pretty much worn out by the whole thing, and nobody is excited about going out to vote now. No. Now, and see, we were all so excited about it like a month ago. Yeah. Uh, and even those of, you know, the, the people who just view it as a pure sport aren't even that excited right mm -hmm. now. The only thing I'm going to be excited about is, is the elections. Or the the uh, debates. I'm gonna be, you know, I'm looking forward to the debates because I'm looking forward to see if Joe Biden finally finds his uh, his, uh, you know, pair again. Uh, because they seem to, have, the Democrats seem to, as they always, they seem to have misplaced their uh, their man parts, as they always do when they get closer to an election. So there was that great line on SNL when Hillary said, you know, grow a pair, and if you don't have a pair, you can borrow mine. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Democrats, of course, are just a party of eunuchs, as we as, as and the Democrats are like this weird. They're like this weird Cinderella thing, but they don't even wait for midnight to turn into a pumpkin. They turn into a pumpkin about 60 days before the election. 
where they're all like, remember how John Kerry came? I'm reporting for duty. And, that was terrible. And then, you know, you flash forward like 45 days later, and he's windsurfing and down by 15 points. Just so depressing. So, uh, so we have a couple of cuts here from uh, SNL. Uh, Tina Fey, accompanied by colleague Amy Poehler, in her usual role as editor Hillary Clinton. So let's hear all these plays. My fellow Americans. <laughs> I was so excited when I was told Senator Clinton and I would be addressing you tonight. And I was told I would be addressing you alone. Yeah. I believe that diplomacy should be the cornerstone of any foreign policy. And I can see Russia from my house. So if you want to see the whole thing, it's uh, on my website. But some of it, I guess, isn't appropriate for work. That's fantastic. So go to RileyLive.com if you want to see yeah, it. There's it's a... up there for now, but who knows for how long. There was, some, uh, there was some language there that was not suitable for air. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, but uh, you watch the whole thing, and I know that NBC was pulling it down off YouTube all weekend. Because, of course, whatever, whatever it's you... It's still up at, at Tim and I and, and my website. So we've Good. Got yeah. right Good. Because whatever you... For how long? Remember, don't ever, ever, ever put anything out on the net that might be free advertising for your product. Whatever you do... <laughs> If there's something on the net that everybody wants to see that's going to raise awareness of your show or your brand, make sure that you send cease and desist orders to take it down because in no way should you ever harness the greatest technology known to man to make more people aware of your programming. Well, that's just a passing fact. That's just, yeah, that Internet's just crazy. Mm-hmm. What, you should have, what you should do, make sure that people have to inst- structure their entire life uh, around your program that's on at 1130 on a Saturday night. Don't, don't ever make it more convenient for them to use your service, your product, watch your show, People whatever. People will tune in at 11 o'clock late at night to watch something. Jesus. Jam I was kind of disappointed. Amy Poehler sounds good, but I wish she had done the Hillary Clinton thing, like a little you yeah. know, deeper and spoken a little bit more like her. The more masculine side of Hillary? Yeah. yeah. Boy, it's interesting that Hillary won't, uh, won't take any direct shots at Sarah Palin. And uh-huh. you know what that's all about. That's so Hillary has plausible deniability. I went out and I helped Barack campaign. I went out and I took the message to the people. But she's not doing what Hillary clearly needs. Uh, now we're just sitting and just wanking about politics. But, but like, you know that Hillary knows mm-hmm. what has to be done here, right? Hillary right. knows what, how, how to win. Uh, but she and, also has that $30 million campaign debt that nobody's helping to pay off. No, no, they're not. And I, uh, you know, whatever. Who? Maybe Obama, uh, you know, wins. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Uh, it's too, I really don't know at this point. Laura and I are going to be doing this thing at home, by the way. We're going to keep a little graph uh, on our kitchen wall with a dry erase board. You know that graph like companies have where they show their stocks, you know, the up and down. Laura and I are going to do a, a poll. Like we're going to like every like five days, we're going to do a little mini poll in our kitchen. And we're going to say, hey, who do you think is going to win? And then she'll ask me, and then we're going to make our predictions, and we're going to track our own predictions as they evolve over the next 60 days. Uh, and then see, like, you know, how, how it ended up, you know, who ends up winning. But, um, you know, so who knows? Maybe the Democrats win, maybe the Republicans win. But, um, but I will tell you this, as I've said repeatedly now, if, you know, if Obama loses, you, there's going to be the biggest I told you so. Because, you know, it's because Hillary, everybody hates her, but you know what? Hillary was electable. Hillary would have won, period. Hands down, flat out, no question. She would have won. And so if Obama loses, uh, they are just going to, man, they're going to they're going to put down that on him till the end of time uh, that he screwed himself uh, out of out of the win by not taking Hillary. But the funny thing about this is you watch Hillary and she clearly and everything you read about her, she clearly just carries a grudge forever. Okay. Hillary just man, and Bill Clinton even worse. Oh, man, they got long memories. You cross the Clintons, they'll find you 40 years later, uh, you know, in a dark alley in Istanbul and they'll put one in your head. But Hillary clearly would know how to be crushing the Republicans right now because the Clintons really have the attack thing down to a science. And it's great, though, that now that Obama needs her help, she kind of won't do it. 
She hangs back and she does the bare minimum. Barack's a great guy. Vote for him. You really she's should. Filing her fingernails. Seriously, just phoning it in. Yeah, totally. She's just sitting there going, "Yeah, no, we, uh, yeah, the, yeah, Obama, Biden. Yeah, that's your vote. Yeah, right, great. And and won't dismantle Sarah Palin, which is what Obama needs. And clearly, that's a little passive. Like, uh, hey, pal, next time, why don't you pick me as your running mate? Maybe I'll actually help you. Have fun. So uh, good to see. Here's Tim Riley. So uh, Joe Biden is speaking today, and uh, he's apologizing for not having a vagina. A record number of home foreclosures. Home values tumbling. And the disturbing news that the crisis that you've been facing on Main Street is now hitting Wall Street. If we forget this recent history, we're going to be doomed to repeat it. We'll get four more years just like the last eight. If you're ready for four more years of George Bush, then John McCain's your guy. All right. Carl Rove was on the Fox News yesterday. And he believes the campaigns of both Obama and John McCain have taken their negative ads a little bit too far. McCain has gone, in, his, in some of his ads, similarly gone one step too far in sort of attributing to Obama things that are, you know, beyond, beyond, beyond the, 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 the 100% truth test. Both campaigns are making a mistake, and that is they are taking whatever their attacks are and going one step too far. You know, what's interesting about that is Carl Rove, who George W. Bush called the architect, yes. and who, you know, is probably the most influential and crucial presidential advisor in history. I mean, for a while it was Dick Morris, uh, but Carl Rove is probably the most important presidential advisor who's ever lived. And it's interesting now that it looks like it's a dead heat. Uh, you know, depending on who you listen to, that Rove is sort of taking him out of the equation, you, himself out of the equation. You can tell he doesn't want to be linked to either side of this because if it goes the wrong way, he, it, it's going to tarnish his reputation as like a Yoda figure. So he's kind of doing what Dick Morris would call triangulation. He is uh, removing himself from from being invested with e- with either side of this because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to go down as the guy who gave somebody bad advice. Let's do one more and then we'll let's take a break here. Well, nobody really cares about this at this point, but OJ. Goes on trial today. It is now underway. The judge, Jackie Glass, in Las Vegas, called the courtroom to order. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Welcome back to State Nevada versus Simpson and Stewart. And all of the same uh, attorneys and clients are still here this morning for you. And we are actually going to begin uh, the trial. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, Tim Riley. Uh, being on the OJ jury at this point is, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Nothing is coming to me. Um, wait, no, no. No, I have nothing. I was trying to, I was trying to do something. Wait. No. I was trying to think of like, uh, you know, this is like you see like some Johnny drama type, like years after he stopped being relevant, you know. Uh, no. No, I got nothing. I was trying to go for like a galaxy quest thing there, but I can't get it. All right. Let's take a break. Back after this. If you're on hold, hang tight. We'll do uh, phone calls on the other side. I see, uh, let's see, we got Clay, Chris, Nick, etc. If you're on the phone, hang tight. We return to calls after uh, this. It's 503-733-2970, the Rick Emerson radio program. Stay there. The message is Mars needs women. We interrupt this record to bring you a special bulletin. The reports of a flying saucer hovering over the city have been confirmed.
weekend. And we got all this stuff we're giving away, too. Let's see. What are we giving away this week? I mean, it's really just a, a huge pile of stuff. Let's see. Um, let me, here's, really, we're giving away all this stuff. It's unbelievable. This week, we are giving away, let's see. We are giving away tickets to, uh, to Sport Fight 24. Uh, which is happening this Friday, September 19th, 7.30 at the Rose Garden Arena. Uh, so we're giving away Sport Fight 24 tickets. We're going to be giving away Portland Pirate Festival tickets. And then we're going to be giving away copies of DC Superheroes, The Filmation Adventures on DVD. Uh, it's a, a two-DVD Filmation DC Superhero set. We're going to be giving all that stuff away. So uh, details on that. Uh, hey, Richie Bristol, are you there? Well, thanks so much. It's 503-733-2970. Very quickly, this email. Rick, thanks a lot. I'm sitting at my desk and suddenly I found myself humming that Jesus is my friend song. And then after saying Jesus is my friend, I immediately say white wheat sourdough English muffin bagel. I can't get rid of it. Thought I'd share. Thanks so much, Lisa. Ah, you're very welcome. Here's Tim Riley. Gee, you must have heard of that uh, horrendous train accident in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, bad, bad. 25 people get killed. Yeah, it was a Metrolink train. It was it was above the valley on the way to Ventura County in uh, Chatsworth. And just to make matters worse, of course, politicians have to get in on this, uh, trying to make people feel better. For instance, you have the uh, mayor, mayor of L.A., Valera Grosso, saying people shouldn't be jittery about riding a train. Seriously. I want to encourage all Angelinos to get back on the train. Together we're making commuting as close to business as usual as possible under the circumstances. Please stay home. I was just going to say, do you there's like a bat phone that rings or something? Yeah. Hey, loss of life. Go get your photo taken. Trains are a reliable form of transportation, says the mayor. Metrolink trains have ridden these lines thousands of miles without incident and will continue to do so uh, without any problem. What are you talking about? I 25 people just got killed. Stay home. I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Sir or madam, as the case may be, hello. Hey, Rick. How are hey, you doing today? Uh, I am fantastic. How can I help you? you? I yes. really enjoy this show. Thank you. Um, got a question for you. Um, <sighs> is this so, going to be a question that makes me sort of grind my teeth? I really hope not. I really hope not. I'm just curious. I run a machine shop out here in East Portland. Yes, sir. And I have four employees. Yes, sir. Um, raising taxes is kind of like it, it sets all my guys' teeth on edge. And we listen to your show from 10 o'clock until 3 religiously every day. Yes, sir. So, when you made the comment, we've got to raise taxes, I just, I ask you, wouldn't it be better, though, to just kind of reduce government spending instead? Yeah, but that's never going to happen. Ever, 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 ever. I'm not saying it shouldn't. Clearly it should. Yeah. Uh, government, I, as I often say, I would prefer the government was so small it didn't even know I existed. I so, love you for saying that. Man. Just never, it's just never going to happen. I, it, we've just dug ourselves though, into this big, stupid hole over the last eight years uh, you know, and just uh, for anybody to say, you know, that, that, that you know that they're going to be able to cut your taxes right now and fix everything, it just seems like that's either a person who's just lying of either party, or, or they're just not too bright. I don't want to pay more taxes. No, Tim, do you want to pay more taxes? No, I don't Sarah? want taxes. No, none no. of us want no. to pay more taxes because if I pay more taxes, I can't hire any more people. I can't buy any new equipment. Um, I can't train. I can't send my guys out for training on any new equipment. Dude, I'm I'm with you, and I'm not just mouthing that at you. I mean, I I admire anybody who runs a business of of any size. I really do, and I mean that that really I I mean that with all sincerity. I mean, don't get me wrong. It 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 sucks. It sucks. It it, it sucks more than more than most things suck. It both sucks and blows. Yeah. But it's, you know, it, and, and it's a it's a domino effect through the whole economy when you raise taxes. 
But if you lower taxes, then people have more money to invest back into the economy. The government gets more revenue in the long term because the economy grows. But it's the government itself that is the huge drain on the economy no. by, by using up credit that's no, available. No, no, dis no disagreement from me. But the idea that somehow politicians are ever going to stop being morally corrupt and venal and... Uh, you know, and and foolish and selfish is just a. Uh, it's not going to happen. It's just That's a. That's why we vote. You know. Yeah. Well, I suppose. Although I will say right now that both parties keep claiming that they're going to do almost the same thing, and right. so one one does really wonder how much effect that has. So please please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to take anybody's money. Certainly not trying to take my own money. I know. But I distrust anybody right now who says uh, you know that we're just going to sort of be able to uh, to muscle our way through this. The the economy around us indicates that that here's what we should all do though. Here's you know I think we can all agree on this. If we could all kick up enough taxes that we can create some sort of a time machine and go back about eight years and make the decision not to put ourselves in this gigantic freaking hole uh, you know, over over something that we could not possibly afford to do, yet right. did anyway. So You're right, but I think we should go back about 40 years and get rid of some of these entitlements that the government feels that we should all pay for. I'm with you, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. I got, I got one more thing that will make you smile. Yes. How about a rick of zombies? It's like a rick of firewood. See, and I almost feel like I don't deserve that. Like, who am I to... No, 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 no. It's not you personally. It's like a rick of firewood. So be like... Wait, so like a cord of firewood, but it would be a rick? Well, yeah. When you stack firewood, right. that's a rick. But when you stack zombies, when they freeze... Yes. That would be a rick of zombies. It All wasn't right. meant to oh. get you. No, I'm just saying. I mean, that seems like a pretty great thing. Uh, and I don't know that I've done enough in my life to really be worthy of having my name associated with zombies. It's like somebody said... Um, it's a coinkydink. They were, they were talking about the uh, the Night of the Living Dead, and they were saying, like, a Romero of zombies. And I'm with that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, my friend. God bless you, dude. Thank you, sir. There you go. Wow. I, I don't think anybody... Nobody wants to pay. Nobody wants to pay more. But you know, at a certain point, you got to start paying down the principal, or you're just going to be, you know, we're just going to continue to get more and more effed uh, as everything goes on. So, and I think it is. I'm totally with that guy, but I think we all agree that it is just, it is just too much to hope for to think that politicians are just going to get their crap together, or that government is ever going to become. I mean, seriously. And I know I, lately I turn everything into bitching about the smoking ban, but I mean, this idea that politics we're going to have fewer regulations. And government's going to become smaller. Never happens. Government never, ever, ever, ever becomes smaller. It only ever becomes big. Government is like Microsoft Windows. It only ever gets bigger. It, it, government, is, government is like every Microsoft program. Remember when Microsoft Word uh, it came on like a floppy disk? And you know what it did? You know, you know what you could do with Microsoft Word? You could write things. You could write things, and then you could print them. And that's all it did, and that's all it really needed to do. This Microsoft Word that we've got now, do you guys have the new updated Microsoft Word on your machines? Yes. It's got that weird Windows so thing in the upper. I don't know. I, I'm like, how do I print? How do I do, save? I don't know. It may be one of the worst software uh, programs. It may be one of the worst pieces of software I've ever used in my life. And I'm not trying to knock the CBS IT department. They, you know, they got to install what they got to install. That new Microsoft Word is one of the worst things I've ever used in my life, ever Ever. Do you know what there is? You know what there's not on this new Microsoft Word? There's no help button. Open that new Microsoft Word and find for me, please, the help option. It's just not there. There is no help option. You go to the drop down, not there. Isn't that where the help option used to be? You go to that drop down on the upper left hand corner, which is now like some weird Windows thing. There's no help there. Can't find it. Doesn't appear on any of the other pull down menus. Why would you ever want to think? Why would you ever want to redesign the software, a piece of software from the ground up, change everything? 
Why would you ever then need a help button for that? It's not like they, you know, it's not like they gave the whole thing a makeover. They moved everything around. They redesigned everything. They relocated every single function in the stupid program. And then, like, just to really put the in, maybe this is because we all complained about the paperclip. You know what I mean? Oh, that paperclip is so annoying. It appears you're about ready to throw your computer out the window and buy a Mac. Would you like help? All right. Anyway. Jesus. But that's what government is. Government is like Microsoft Word. Every year, it gets bigger and more bloated and runs more slowly and does... This is a perfect example, a perfect analogy, actually. And every year, it does fewer of the things you need it to do, and it does more things you don't want it to do, and it costs more. And you have to have it, and there's no way to avoid using it. So government is Microsoft Word. So I am with that guy, and I'm ready to think that I'm some, you know, like, I'm not a socialist, but, you know, the government's not going to fix anything, you know, and, and I don't want to have another eight years of being up up to our eyeballs and hock if we can help it. So, all right, here's Tim Riley. Well, let's make everyone feel better with a snuff watch. Here's your snuff watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Mundo's, the legendary shark fisherman, said to have inspired the Captain Quint character in the movie Johnson's Died. It was 82. Mundo's died at the Queens Medical Center in Honolulu after a heart attack. It was the second one in four days. He uh, suffered an earlier one September 6th at Kona International Airport after returning from a business trip to New York. Mundo's had a history of heart disease. Uh, known as the Monster Man for the size of the sharks he caught. The gregarious man had an outsized personality, nearly as big as his fame, both the cricket, too. He forged his reputation as a fearless fisherman in Montauk, beginning in 1951, hunting down the world's biggest sharks. Number two. A Pink Floyd spokesman says founding member Richard Wright has died. He was 65. He died at his home after a battle with cancer in Britain. His family didn't want to give any more details. Now, but the, fun, the funny thing is, uh, we heard it was a blood clot, yeah. and then like five minutes later it was cancer. Yeah. So take your pick. It's all very... Blood clots freak me out, by the way. Because that's those things where, like, you, uh, you know, you're just walking around and you bump yourself and a, a clot that was there for, like, 20 years and never bothered you. You bump your knee on something, goes right to your heart, dead. Dead, freaking dead instantly. Yeah, your body's just waiting to fall apart at any moment. So he joined their early band, the Sigma Six, which eventually became Pink Floyd's. He wrote and sang some of the band's key songs. He wrote... The Great Gig in the Sky and Us and Them from Pink Floyd's 1973, The Dark Side of the Moon. He left the group in the early 80s to form his own band and rejoined Pink Floyd for the 1987 album, A Momentary Lapse of Reason. I think there's a third one here, too, but I don't have it. Uh, there was a, what's his name, the guy who wrote Infinite Jest. I forget that guy's name. Well, he's dead. Author, yeah, he died. Wrote a thousand-page book that nobody really read. One of the, he, he wrote one of those Finnegan's Wake books. That everybody buys and they stick on their shelf somewhere and they really mean to read it, but they basically have it there so everybody can go, Finnegan's Wake, well done. And it be, but like they've never read it either. <laughs> sort of like it's the Atlas Shrugged uh, syndrome where you buy it and you have it there and people come over and go, yeah, Atlas Shrugged. She really, uh, she really does say something about the very atavistic nature of man and his inherent struggle against uh, self, you know, and then you all look at each other and then like you go out for a latte. Uh, all right, so Richard Wright, uh, Pink Floyd dead, which is unfortunate. I mean, there's Sid Barrett died. But I think everybody else was still, you know, everybody else still alive and kicking. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Dave Gilmore will do what he always does, which is to sort of get like 500 session musicians and go out and continue to build that band as Pink Floyd. I get the feeling they could probably all be dead, 
And they would continue to tour as alleged Pink Floyd. And probably everybody in the audience is so stoned they wouldn't even know. I don't know why the Grateful Dead didn't do that. I mean, oh, really? That audience is so whacked out. I mean, you know, an entire crowd full of Boone's Farm apple wine and phenobarbital. I mean, how would you... Who's that on stage, Jerry? I don't know. You know, they could have just gotten Burl Ives to go out there. You, fat guy, beard, put this on. Get Bunny Carlos to from that band. Nobody would know the difference. So, anyway... Hey Tim, you know what a uh, you know what a Grateful Dead fan says when he's sober? What's that? God, this band sucks. There's your snuff watch for uh, Monday on the Rick Emerson show. Can I ask a question of you and of everyone? Yes, please. Will it make me look like a jerk if I say, I really don't wish to take more calls about taxes and the economy? No, we're tired of it. We can't do anything about it, really. There's nothing we can do in so, people venting frustration. To the folks on hold, please, I mean this sincerely. Your input is valued. We love our audience. We love the listeners, both individually, collectively, all of that. Politicians don't solve problems. No, please please believe that I'm not trying to be a jerk when I say we're probably not going to take any calls about taxes at this point. Because here, all it's going to do is get everybody cranked up. And it's going to get you cranked up about the worst kind of problem, which is the kind that makes you really angry and the kind that you can do nothing about. Mm-hmm. And so we're just going to sit here and get ourselves all pissed off about something that we can't do anything to change. So... Politicians, government, broken, corrupt, evil, immoral, uh, and, and, and you know, as, as P.J. O'Rourke said, giving the government your money is like giving a teenager whiskey and car keys. Uh, but there's nothing that's going to change that. And don't forget, elections are big business, so they'll continue. They, they will continue, Tim. The, uh, the economy depends on it. And if your vote really uh, made a difference, it would be illegal. Rick, I hate it when I try to use a help function, he says, and it sends me to some... Oh, I hate this, too. And I was talking about Microsoft Word. And he sends me to a forum with a bunch of computer guys who only know how to speak to other computer guys, or they make you read 10,000 pages of posts from others who had problems. As a guy who knows enough about computers to get by, this is annoying. I don't want to go to a forum. I want to be spoken to in simple terms. I don't want to sift through thousands of articles. I just want help, and I want it now. I'm with you on that, man. I was trying to uh, solve some problem on my computer the other day. And don't you love that when the software companies do that? You go to the help thing, and, it's, you know, and you're like, how do I, you know, how do, can I, let me just say this. And I'm only, it's not just because it's relatable. It's because I have to use that stupid Microsoft Word program all the time. And it fills me with a white-hot supernova of rage that I really have to keep control of because otherwise I would just, uh, there'd be some death. But that thing when you go to the help uh, function on a lot of software programs, and instead of, actually giving you the answer, they do what this guy's saying. Where it's, you may find help in our online forums. You know what that is? That's the company saying, we don't want to do any actual work. So we're going to let all the other users of Microsoft Word vainly bitch back and forth in some online message board cluster F that solves nothing. So you have to sort through 7,000 different postings of people responding back and forth to each other with winky, smiley, blinky, dazzly things that jump up and down and do everything but solve your, prog- your problem. Yeah. Having a little guy with a top hat and a cane who turns around and does a dance and then vomits on something doesn't really help me solve the fact that I can't figure out how to take a single space document and make it double space document, you dicks. So why not just have the help button be big and obvious, huh? How about that? It's like when you call the, uh, the 800 number at whatever, you know, your company is. And it's like, you know, they get, our menu options have recently, 
If you would like to talk to an operator, jump up and down at one foot, then press 995-7325-space-space-999. Five. You know? If you'd like to talk to an operator, please enter pi to the 500th decimal place. First option when you call a phone tree ought to be to talk to an operator, and the biggest button in Microsoft anything ought to be the one that says, fix this. Jesus. Here's Tim Riley. But you know what? No matter what happens, I know I'm just a few hours away from going home to my Mac. You know, I'm glad for you, Tim. KCMD Portland. Would you like to know, Tim, on KCMD? Oh, I think you just did. Uh, would you like to know this, that somebody uh, called me the other day, someone who was, be who was between computers, uh -huh. a, between personal computers, old one bit the dust, haven't gotten the new one, and they called me, and you know what? I uh, told this person to buy a Mac. You Good happen to know that. That's a, that's a true story. Not just saying that. I told this person, I said, you know what? And you know what? I, and this is the phrase I used, Tim, and you will know this. I said, Macs may not be perfect. They may have their own issues. But I said, I don't know a single person who has ever bought a Mac and regretted doing so. And that is true. Now, I myself use uh, Windows, but, you know, I don't know a single person who's bought a Mac and has later said, damn, this Mac is so hard to use. Why did I buy this? No one ever does that. So that is not an option here at CBS Radio, but uh, I'm just saying. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, the stock market is closed more than 450 points for a steep loss at the closing bell. Sure, the government's going to step in and fix that any day now. As they always do. As they, <laughs> as they do, Tim. Jesus. As uh, as somebody once said, uh, you know... The, 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 they're going to change the way Washington does business. They're going to shake things up, Tim. Smaller government. Yes. As somebody smarter than me once said, uh, the only time government wants to be smaller is when they want it small enough it can fit into your bedroom. Here's mm -hmm. Tim Riley. Pennsylvania woman who thought she was petting the neighbor's cat. Well, she got a smelly surprise. It turned out to be a skunk. Wah, wah. Not only did it spray the woman, then it ran into the house and sprayed every single corner of that house. Police spent hours at the home before leaving the scene. There's no immediate word on whether or not they were able to remove that skunk. By the way, speaking of the stock market, Richie Bristol has typed something legitimately funny on the screen. He says, you know, this is Richie Bristol saying this. He says, he said, Intercom should have the same motto as the Oregon Lottery. Not meant for investment purposes. They're the same for Citadel. <laughs> 88 cents a share. Intercom radio is for entertainment only, not for investment purposes. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick. Ah, life. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, how you doing? I'm fine. What's up? Oh, uh, real quick. Yeah, Tim mentioned the uh, stock. It went over. It's down over 504 now. Um, you uh, did a great analogy on uh, Microsoft Windows and the government, but yeah. you sold yourself short. How so? Well, just like the government every year, just like Microsoft every year, they come out and say, hey, because of last year, we have gotten bigger and stronger and faster to help you, and, and they which all, they've never done. And also, here's another way that the government and Microsoft are the same. And don't get me wrong. I admire Bill Gates in many, many ways. I really do. He's one of my heroes. But I will say this. Microsoft and the government do the same thing, where they come back and they go, look, uh, I know that last, uh, that last thing we did was a real cluster. Uh, I know that last thing was terrible. So what we're going to do is... This new thing we're putting out, it's going to fix all the problems that we caused with the last thing we did. And uh, it really is going to solve all of those issues. We're going to address all the issues with the last with the last project. And, of course, the new project doesn't fix any of the problems from the last old project and just creates more problems. Exactly. You take Katrina, for example. Well, because of Katrina, we're going to change things around and make us a lot quicker and faster. Yeah. And then Microsoft goes, well, because of the way that Windows has been uh, locking up on you and dropping you off and doing this, we are going to come out with a better program, and it's going to make you quicker and faster. Yep. I'm with you, sir. They're exactly the same. All right. Thank you, my friend. You bet. Later. All right. There you go. If I was more motivated, I'd write some whole essay about that and then put it on Dig.
Profit. We'll have more news from Tim Riley here in just a moment. Uh, real quickly, Richie, have you talked to Bob Ralston? I left the message. All right, thank you. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. Oh, I'm sorry, from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada today. My mistake. CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. And a very good afternoon to you, sir. How, uh, how's your day? And I realize that's a relative question at this point. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's nice having to work just one story in a day. That's what's nice about being here. I was trying to, uh, I was trying to come up with, uh, with some analogy for the O.J. Simpson case. And I, here's the closest. This is the best I can come up with. Uh, and this is uh, for the classic rock fans in the house. It, it really, it, being a, a juror on the O.J. Simpson case right now, that's like uh, kind of having front row seats to see Head East at this point. He's probably right. I was trying to come up with a funnier band. Who's a funnier band for that joke? Like having front row seats to see... Uh, Badfinger. I don't know. I got nothing. Um. Anyway, so so things did things officially kicked off today? Well, they officially kicked off last week with jury selection, but they continue with opening statements today. Really, the action started today. All right. As as we thought, we heard, of course, two extremely different versions of the events of last September. And um, now the first witness is on the stand, Bruce Frumong, who's one of those sports memorabilia dealers who right. claims Simpson robbed him of all that stuff. And so this, do they have, I mean, it's a, it's a foolish question, I suppose, but do they have any any sort of estimate or timeline about how long this whole thing is going to take? Well, the judge has a cruise that departs on October 20th. <laughs> so they got to be done by then. So she wants to be done by the 17th. That is fantastic. Of course, any juror who said they have vacation plans, she told them to sit down. So oh, yeah, and she, it is her courtroom. Uh, they expect it to be over you know, around the third week of October. And the jury isn't this sequestered or anything this time? No, but they are being escorted uh, to and from their cars, and they, they can't eat in the uh, courthouse cafeteria. They have to... They break in a in a room and they're taking box lunches, so we don't get to see them. Although we did see, you know, OJ and um, CJ Stewart and their lawyers came into the cafe with us uh, this afternoon for lunch, but then they uh, they were escorted to what we call the the chandelier room, which is a room behind <laughs> behind the cafeteria. Is that the room where Lawrence Welk hangs out? Must be. Yeah. I didn't see any bubbles come out of there, but. Uh, they were uh, they were definitely not able to eat with us. You get the uh, it was a shame. Do you get the feeling that uh, I was going to say Lawrence Welk? Uh, do you get the feeling that O.J. Simpson and I'm the only person who's ever uh, almost made that mistake? By the way, do you ever get the feeling that O.J. Simpson is very heavily medicated? You know, it's very strange because last week he was real, real relaxed, real jovial, having a good time. It almost seemed today, man, he's been mumbling to himself, you know, wincing, you know, those that look on us like, "What you talking about?" Look, you know, that uh, he gave during that entire first. Uh, a criminal trial of his, and so he, uh, you know, he's got that he's got that whole thing going on today. So whether he's medicated or didn't get any sleep or really finally understands that he could go to prison here, um, he sure has a different demeanor than he had last week. He's kind of got that maybe a little bit of that Brian Wilson thing where every every now and again he just twitches and barks like a dog. <laughs> That's what it seems. Like. In my room. <laughs> What? Just, it's just kind of crazy, yeah. you know? And he's, he's even got his serious glasses on. Last week he wore his gold-rimmed little tiny readers. Now he's got his black-rimmed, uh, larger, uh, larger-framed larger readers. He thinks he's going to Clark Kent his way out of this? Yeah, the glasses will make... He's doing, but, he's, but he's got that... that Yellow pad he scribbles on all the time. What do you suppose... What do you suppose O.J. Simpson writes on that yellow pad? Uh, lyrics to songs. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, just limericks? Is he just a list of people he feels have wronged him? 
every now and again he shows it to his lawyer. It could be he's drawing a picture of the jury, for all I know. I have... Yeah, you know, I can't get that close. I uh, actually one of the Vincent Bugliosi, who uh, you know is a, is a man that have you ever met him? You ever met Vincent Bugliosi? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I I always want to get him on the show, and he always writes a book, and I try to get him on the show, and then it's like he's always quit doing interviews like the day before I ask, and so I've never had a chance man, to talk to him. When you when you start talking to him, I mean you gotta think, okay, this is gonna be a marathon show because he he will talk and talk. He seems like a guy that has uh, he has a pilot light inside that is just always on flame throw. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's funny, he at one point had, uh, I think he got a copy or, or got a hold of the originals of the sketches that Charles Manson would do during the Manson trial. Uh, and it was funny, because you'd see Manson... they're in his book, aren't they? Aren't yeah. they in his book? I think they're in Helter Skelter. You see Manson doing the same thing, drawing, and then they were like these really weird, incredibly disturbing pictures of Bugliosi himself. So... I think those are in the book. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, have a Tommy's, uh, sir. Go and have a Tommy burger. You know, I was, lo- I was looking for it yesterday when I drove into town, and I couldn't find it, but I had to get to the courthouse to it's set on, up. Uh, it's on Tropicana. Gear, so. Right off Tropicana. Oh, I know where that is. Yeah. So you uh, you check that out. Uh, if you can't find it, let me know. I'll have a listener give you the hookup. we got a guy, uh, a listener who lives right next to it, but it's uh, apparently right off Tropicana. Very nice. All right, my friend. We'll enjoy your day to whatever extent you can, and we'll uh, talk to you soon, brother. Thank you, sir. All right, go. CNN Radio correspondent James Rue. By the way, Tim Riley, in a few minutes. Yeah. We'll be talking to Bob Ralston, who is the uh, organ player, keyboard player, pianist, musical arranger, and all of that for the Lawrence Welk Show. That sounds fascinating. Listen to this. You know what I got here? I got a little bit of the... Uh, check this out. This is from one of their anniversary shows. There we go. Now, sit back and enjoy tonight's show, especially selected for public television by America's favorite music man, your host, Lawrence Welk. I hadn't seen this in years, and I watched it yesterday. And there's Lawrence Welk standing outside. This is a very special show for us. In fact, it was special when we first presented it back in 1980, because it was our 25th anniversary on television. There are many things about our anniversary show that stands out in my mind. The stage was decorated with a huge champagne glass. All the fellows were wearing tuxedos. The girls were in lovely evening gowns. And I got to dance with our beautiful champagne lady, Norma Simmer, as we opened the show. And here we are dancing to the anniversary song. One. And then they go right to this, and there's like the... There's like the staircase that comes down on either side of the stage, and then all of those girls. And the weird thing about Lawrence Welk is, I mean, it, it, first of all, everything about Lawrence Welk is weird. I mean, that whole show, and you and I were talking about this the other day, it just doesn't, you can never tell when it was filmed, and was it a rerun, or was it 20 years old? I mean, black and white and color was the only way you could tell the age of any of the shows. It lives in its own little world. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I was looking at that too, and I think you, I think you actually had the answer to this, but I was watching the Lawrence Welk show last night. And I was thinking, like, is this on a stage? Is this at an actual venue somewhere? So do you know the answer to that? Do you know where they filmed it on a stage? It, it started in the early 1950s at a ballroom that has been demolished, which was on the Santa Monica Pier when it was on KTLA. And then it went national, I believe, and they moved it somewhere else. But it always came from California. Yeah, it's, I mean, it really is like nothing else you before or since. And, um... So at one point, Lawrence Well comes out on stage, and he's he's dancing with, you know, who the champagne girl or whatever. And then they've got all of these, you know, it's like a choir or whatever, a chorus of girls going down the stairs singing. And it's like, 
it's the weirdest thing because it's, I guess they're kind of there for sex appeal. They're sort of fresh-faced, I mean, relentlessly white-looking women. I mean, like, full-on, like, Aryan white. Um, you know, but I guess they're there because they're sort of attractive, but it's like the most chaste kind of sex appeal. You get, like, covered in head-to-toe in these, like, gauzy dresses, and everything is the color of, like, sherbet. I mean, Sarah, have you ever watched Lawrence Welk show in your life? No. No big deal if you haven't. But, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, because you probably, you came in, I mean, after, you were sort of in this world after it was gone. Um, I think it's on OPP now. Yeah, and your parents don't strike me as the type to have watched Lawrence Welk. Uh, but uh, it was just, it's the weirdest mix of, like, girls, but, like, absolute, it was like that scene on Mad Men last night. Did you see Mad Men? Yes, I did. When Peggy's, like, you know, has the flyer for the girl, for the girl dancing with the boy, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the the woman is like, they should be further apart. Leave room for the Holy Ghost. I mean, that's kind of the vibe of the Lawrence Welk show. And um, anyway, then I was, uh, you know, I was watching that, and, and you know, and and I've, an aspect of the Lawrence Welk show that I'd forgotten about is that as they are performing a song, there's a studio audience there, mm-hmm. and that members of the studio audience, and they're all like 900 years old. I mean, it's just like. Dancing walnuts is what they look like. I mean, they they all look like those sculptures made out of, you know, the dried apple. Uh, And they're out on the floor, and they're all, you know, and they're dancing. And it's just, you realize that for for a whole slice of America, that this was just, it, it must have been a bastion from some of the pop music at the time that they must have found very unsettling or confusing. That it was very much a, almost like this sort of, um, hermetically sealed bubble in which a certain kind of culture lived forever. It, it was like that post-World War II thing. The, the early 50s, everyone's afraid of communism type of thing. And exactly. Everybody better dress up in a certain way and do not step over certain lines. Right, right. Uh, and it was a very, very... Uh, and it, it, You sort of got the feeling, especially... With, and we'll talk to Bob Ralston here in just one moment. Um, you sort of got the feeling watching the Lawrence Welk show, too, that, as you said, that there was a, probably a very, it seems like there was probably a very sort of strict dress code and a behavior code, not unlike at Disneyland. Because Same thing. Actually, Lawrence Welk was kind of the Disney of that group. Exactly. And had a very clear idea of what the audience wanted to see and hear. And I think must have been kind of a refreshing antidote for people who, at that point, you know, in the 60s and the 70s, just looked around and just did not have any idea what was going on in music and found the whole thing very off-putting. Mm-hmm. So... All right, we want to welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson radio program, uh, American musician, organist, probably best known from television's The Lawrence Welk Show, uh, Bob Ralston. Hello, how are you, sir? Hey, Rick, I'm doing fine. Great to be with you. Thank you for joining us, my friend. I know we had a, a couple of kerfuffles, as they say, in terms of the scheduling, but I'm glad you could make time. First of all, i got to say, uh, I mean... Uh, you um, obviously have had the long career. You know, a lot of people probably know you best from the Lawrence Welk show. But you are still out there, and you're still out there on the road. You're still out there working. And uh, do you ever just reach a point where you're like, you know, I've made 900 records, and I was on television for like 15 years or whatever, and it, uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna put my feet up and just uh, watch TV. I would love nothing better. Actually, it's been 45 years on TV, and uh, but I'm still spending most of my time flying planes. But I got to tell you, my retirement starts today. This is the yesterday was the last concert I uh, had for 2008, and I am looking forward to spending time with my wife and getting organized and uh, working on that 50-inch waistline, and and then I'll start uh, hitting the road again. I guess next spring. Good for you. So uh, first of all, I'm going to tell people uh, you can go to uh, Bob Ralston's uh, webpage. It's Bob, B-O-B-R-A-L-S-T-O-N, Bob Ralston. 
dot uh, com. All right, so uh, so you were born in uh, you were born in California. I was. So how does it, how does it start for you? You're born in California, and then at some point you discover music, or did you come to a musical family? How did you how did you get started in music? Yeah, uh, actually, my uh, my dad and his side of the family were traveling uh, entertainers. Uh, there were five brothers and sisters. The only one that became famous was my aunt Esther Ralston, who was. Uh, uh, a legend of the uh, silent screen back in her day in the 20s. Uh, she was the highest paid female movie star ever. She was known as the American Venus. Uh, I doubt there's any of your uh, listeners with your younger demographics there that remember Esther Ralston, but she's got a star on Hollywood Boulevard, so I come from a great line of entertainers. But actually, the musical talent came from my mom. Uh, she was... Um, uh, the original voice of Minnie Mouse. She was Walt Disney's uh, 13th employee when she went to work for him. And uh, before me and my little brother were born, she decided that uh, the firstborn son was going to be a musician, the second was going to be an artist, and sure enough, it turned out that way. Excellent. So how is it that, uh, that you met Lawrence Welk? How did that happen? Well, my mom was a wonderful stage mother, and uh, when the Lawrence Welk show was on locally in California, she got me to uh, record some songs on the piano and the organ on a reel-to-reel tape recorder. Carter and send him in, and and uh, a few years later, well, I got the job. And so that show ran. Lawrence Welk, the program ran what the twenty years? How long did the show? Well, the, the, show the original shows went from 1955 to 1982, and since that time, we've been doing wraparounds and and specials and so forth. And was there? Lawrence Welk seems like a guy who had a very. And my uh, news director Tim Rothers making the comparison to to with the Walt Disney. It seems like Lawrence Welk had a pretty good idea of what people wanted to see and maybe what people uh, didn't want to see. That was uh, the show very carefully crafted, I would think. He really did. He really did. He thought the uh, choice of the song was the number one consideration. Uh, familiar thing, you know, it was a rare occasion when we introduced a new number, usually written by one of the band members, such as myself. But uh, that was that was a few and far between. And uh, I, I heard uh, you talk about the dress code, too. Yes, uh, there were rumors of people getting fired for having the hemline too high and stuff. Um, did you, do you think that did Lawrence Welk look around and create that show as a deliberate sort of antidote to or reaction against some of the stuff that was going on in pop music and, and rock and roll? Oh, I think so, absolutely. Yeah, and and he would make fun of what was going on too. I remember one time he uh, came out, uh, started the show dressed in a uh, hippie outfit with a wig and uh, wild glasses and everything, and and the the whole cast had to act totally shocked about it. And then we undressed him there, and underneath he was underdressed with his regular suit and tie, and we went ahead with the show. But uh, yeah, no, he knew what he was doing. It seemed like he had a pretty good sense though of his own. He that's a guy who absolutely knew. Who the show was for, who it was targeted to, who was watching, and I got to tell you, uh, I grew up, and my parents would have the Lawrence Welk uh, show on every week, and it was, and I, and I really mean this in the best way. The Lawrence Welk show was like seeing this program that almost came from another planet, and it was where <laughs> everybody was everybody was dressed well, the music was all that was you know sort of very sophisticated, and there was like the champagne and the bubbles everywhere, and there were you know sort of all these sort of beautiful, very wholesome looking girls. And then it was like the show would the show would end and you'd be back in the real world uh, where everybody was just sort of walking out you know everybody was walking around sort of with uh, you know sideburns down to their down to their yeah, neck right, and like right. dungarees it was all very strange so, so did your your folks uh, force you to watch the show uh my family was a little weird uh my family had this sort of I, I don't even know how to describe my family but it would be I don't know if these shows were actually back to back but in my memory it seems like we would watch Lawrence Welk almost back to back with Hee Haw 
and I and I don't really know if that if they were actually on back to back, but uh, yeah, my parents were my parents were big fans of Lawrence Welk show, and I got to tell you this is a, this is actually a true statement that at home uh, I collect a lot of old vinyl, a lot of vintage vinyl, oh, yeah. and I've actually got some of your records on vinyl All right. uh, that we use here on the program for some of our commercial beds. So, uh, so anyway, so is it true that apart from just doing the Lawrence Welk stuff, is it, somebody told me that you have recorded, Bob Ross, on like 200 records. Oh, I've recorded over 300 in the studios with uh, uh, other leaders. I, I did all the Ray Conniff things for many years and recorded many movie scores and uh, did some with Andy Williams and, and other stars. But that was uh, not under my name. Under my name, I have 33 uh, solo albums I've done. I have 33 solo albums. There's nothing to sneeze at, my friend. Uh, I have to ask you this question, and you might, might get asked this a lot. So, Lawrence Welk, when he's, you're off the air, and he's just, uh, you know, he's just, just the guy that is working with you. What's he like when he, you know, what was he like when he wasn't on camera? Well, just about the same as what you saw. Yeah, he uh, kept that uh, German accent, and he would he'd talk to us in a folksy way. Uh, uh, say, Bob, now you got to realize the farmers come in the Midwest after working all day hard, and they just want to put their feet up and listen to a nice melody and uh, a nice rhythm, and uh, so stick to the melody. In fact, his greatest insult was when he called us a musician. If he wanted to insult somebody, he said, uh, uh, "Joe, you're you're playing like a musician there. You're not sticking to the melody." I, uh, as we uh, sort of get ready to wrap this up, let me say it's BobRalston.com. Uh, did you at any point have uh, a terrible crush on any of the Lennon sisters? <laughs> well, I used to uh, give Janet Lennon a hug as often as I could. Excellent. Good for you, my friend. All right, Bob Ralston, and the website is BobRalston.com. And I said you're going to be uh, taking some time off, relaxing, enjoying life. So best of continued success uh, in your life and in your music, sir. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you, Rick. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Bob Ralston from the Lawrence Welk Show. Uh, Richie, can you make sure that we have Bob's uh, contact info and everything's good there? Thank you. How cool does that guy sound? Wow. I was okay. just reading his bio, and it says he also performs for audiences of only 40 for special little one-hour concerts at his home in the valley where really? he lives. I was just reading that. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I, I didn't want to point out that, that guy's yeah, that guy's over 70 years old. And, man, that guy, he's just... Wow, he's, like, on the ball, too. He's mm -hmm. Seriously. I hope I sound like that when I'm 70. So, uh, yeah, anyway. he does the work he enjoys. Yeah. I, you know, and how, I mean, really, how often do you get to talk to a guy who was on the Lawrence Welk show? Yeah. I mean, that guy was beamed into, and that was, again, back in the three, the three channel era, the three networks, and everything you watched was on one of those networks, and so everybody had basically a 33 share all the time. And um, was it Sunday nights Lawrence Welk show was on? Yeah, it had to Saturday or Sunday, usually, depending on where you were. And I don't really remember if it was back-to-back -back with Hee Haw, but it seems like it was, maybe at least on the same night. And, um, you know, that's, hey, we, I think I've asked you this before. Roy Clark's still alive, right? Oh, here we go again. I, I think, think Buck so. Owens is dead. Buck Owens is dead. Roy Clark probably alive. I was just watching the Muppet Show the other day, and uh, Roy Clark was on there. Boy, that's a guy. We ought to get Roy Clark on. I mean, get Roy Richie, get Roy Clark. Seriously, we had Bob Ralston for the Lawrence Welk show. Why not get some guy? I mean, probably get... You know, can I just tell you this? Let me just say this about Hee Haw. Um, first of all, I got three things to say about Hee Haw, uh, all of which uh, Tim will probably have no resonance with this at all because you don't strike me as the Hee Haw demographic. Uh, but don't forget, I am familiar with it because I work in country music. Oh, that is true. Which people find hard to believe. No? no I'm sorry. And so did I. <laughs> 
<laughs> what am I doing here? It's true. Why am I Why am I playing Bellamy Brothers records? Kill I have me. fantastic ratings year after year after year. I was talking to Chris Paddock about that, it's actually. possible not to, really. I was uh, extolling the virtues of your Eskimo commercial to Chris Paddock. <laughs> Chris that Paddock. was from another time. Chris Paddock is like, that is so great, I have to hear that. Oh, no. Um, you played it for him. No, 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 but I will. Day's not over. Uh, let me just say three things about Hee Haw. First of all, uh, so we just had Bob Ralston for the Lawrence Welk Show, which, I mean, that was... The Lawrence Welk Show, even now, to people, I would say, if you are, I, I would say, over the age of 30, mm-hmm. the Lawrence Welk Show has a lot of memories for you, and you, it probably is still shorthand for a certain type of music, you know, like champagne music. You say to people, hey, this is kind of real champagne music, and people know what you're talking about. You talk about the Lawrence Welk Show or the Lennon Sisters, certainly, and people know exactly what, what you're sort of referring to, and we don't have that sort of unanimity as a culture anymore because, you know, there's, again, so, much, so, so many channels, 500 different stations, and everything's fragmented. But there was a time when, you know, that was one of the things that sort of bonded us as a nation, you know? You go home, and on Sunday night, everybody would watch. There's two things you would watch on Sunday night. We watch sports. You watch 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. and you watch the Lawrence Welk Show. And uh, so it was with Hee Haw. And, I mean, I remember watching Hee Haw, and I got three things to say. One of which is I saw an old Muppet show the other day with Roy Clark, still a phenomenal musician. I mean, one of the best musicians I've ever seen perform. So, Richie, we really ought to be getting uh, Roy Clark on uh, from Hee Haw. And, I, and I, I am absolutely sincere when I say that because that's a huge slice of American culture right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody watched Hee Haw. Again, Sarah probably didn't, probably hasn't really watched it. Who is this? These are the closing credits for the Lawrence Welk Show. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Hee Haw was a huge part of the culture. And Roy Clark was, you know, he was the co-host along with Buck Owens. Uh, two other things. Um, one is... I don't know who she was, and maybe she wasn't really that hot. She only seems that way. But you know who I had kind of a crush on on, on Hee Haw was not any of the sort of like big busty farm girls they had, and there were a lot of those, but it was like that girl with the, the sort of shoulder-length blonde hair that was always dressed in overalls. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. She was kind of the young sort of – had kind of a boyish figure, not a real knockout, but I kind of had a crush on her because she seemed sort of uh, – she was a lot younger than the other girls and seemed kind of like a girl-next-door type. Uh, so that's my second thought about them. And if somebody knows her name, that girl on Hee Haw, that was sort of the kind of plain, kind of a plan of a plain looking Debbie Gibson is what she looked like. I don't remember her name at all. My final thing about it is, and this is, I was maybe 10, 11, 12 when I was watching Hee Haw. This sounds, this sounds retarded, uh, probably to anybody under the age of 25. But I have to tell you, growing up as a young man in, in Kennewick and in America at that time, those girls on Hee Haw were some of the hottest girls you could see on television. And I know that sounds stupid. But on Hee Haw, they knew that the audience uh, gravitated to a couple things. One of them was banjo twanging, and the other one was girls with huge cans in really, really low-cut, frilly farmer's daughter outfits. Um, it was sort of the opposite of the Lawrence Welk show in that regard. They really almost did seem like polar twins, right? There was It was like one was Green Acres, and the other one was the Beverly Hillbillies. And... Uh, you know, and the Lawrence Welk show was probably Green Acres, and Hee Haw was Beverly Hillbillies. And it was because it was just a bunch of guys out there whittling sticks, chewing tobacco, standing in a cornfield saying, Salute! And then a bunch of girls with massive cans falling out of their dress behind like a general store counter. So, anyway, there you go. Those are my, those are my thoughts on Hee Haw. Let's do one more and then we'll take a break. We'll come back in the procedures. Tim Riley. So the Dow Jones has nearly 500 points lower than it should be. It is at its worst drop in more than seven years, as bank woes continue to scare off investors. 
Other than that, everything's fine. Everything's fine, Tim. Police say a 20-year-old woman faces an aggravated assault charge after she bit her boyfriend, broke a picture frame across his head, and swung at him with a sword during an argument about not doing the dishes. The woman's been arrested. The 21-year-old man told police he became involved in an argument because the woman was upset that the dishes were not washed. The woman told the man to leave the apartment. The woman then tried to physically remove the man during the ensuing struggle. The woman bit the man's right shoulder, broke a picture frame across his head, and caused visible cuts. The woman then grabbed an approximate two-foot sword and swung it at him, but missed. The woman has been brought to uh, a local jail after posting a $10,000 bond. The man and the woman have lived together for four months. Jesus. Young love. All right. Uh, I'll play us in the break here, Sarah. And uh, if you're on hold, I'm seeing somebody about Microsoft Office, somebody about Lawrence Welk, and then in the middle are two mystery calls. So if you are on hold right now... This is the voice of Rick Emerson. Uh, we will take your calls momentarily, so hang tight. Uh, you have my uh, my solemn vow. We'll get your calls as soon as we get back in the breaks. So please hang on. I'll play a little uh, Bob Ralston. Uh, Bob Ralston to the break here. This is I found this one. Uh, I found this one at a vinyl swap meet about six months ago. Uh, the mellifluous tones of Bob Ralston, ladies and gentlemen. This is I want a girl just like the girl on the Rick Emerson show. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Just a moment. We take phone calls, then more from Tim Riley. Coming up later on, Stan will be in the studio. I will not call him Stan the Man. Uh, he will be the uh, first in studio. He's a semi-finalist in our Birth of a Salesman uh, contest. All right. Uh, here's a little fun fact between you and, between you and I. I wasn't going to tell anybody about this. But, you know, uh, so we had, like, I don't know, hundreds of entries, and we boiled it down to ten. We talked to ten on the phone. Five are going to come to the studio. And then three will uh, meet with Michael Pashana. So uh, last the last, last two weeks we were doing our ten callbacks, and I, I am now unable to find uh, I am now unable to find where where I put the ten callback information. You know the pile where I had all their names and phone numbers. So Bridget's it's, I've lost it. It's somewhere I don't know where it is. So Bridget's gone today, but uh, I sent Bridget I'm like I can't find the names and phone numbers of the ten people we called back. So can you help me out with that? And I know that basically I'm going to have to sort through like the hundreds of entries and try to find the ten people I called. He's the only one whose contact info I actually had. I, I put it all in a pile and I've lost the pile. No, the pile fell on the floor and then we picked it up haphazardly putting it back together. It's it's gone. I It's stuck to something else backwards. Yeah. Gone from this place. I'll find it next year. Uh, let me just read a couple of these. This is another installment of uh, We Read the Inquirer so you don't have to. Well, uh, everyone should read although it, you should, gold. although you should, that's a fair point, sir. Uh, let's see. Uh, so this is, by the way, here's that photograph of, and we used to make this more than the Inquirer. We used to do like the Weekly World News, but they might like really cut back on their publishing. I mean, it's a bad time for most of the tabloids right now. The Inquirer, though, they continue to be the gold standard. Uh, so here's that photograph of Sarah Palin with the big hair and the big, you know, body wearing a shirt that says, I may be broke, but I'm not flat busted. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. terrific. Is that, is that the new one? She's a classy girl. Yeah, right here in the front. What Sarah Palin's hiding? 
Uh, so it's a whole thing about how she was uh, allegedly bonking some other guy, her husband's business partner, and whatever. And then the best part of here, they're, they're talking about her husband, her uh, her uh, 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 son, Track. Um, and they just show this is the best thing on the page. They just show Track's picture. And then a huge bottle of OxyContin. That's right next to it. Like, it's just a picture of him and then a big bottle of pills right next to that. Uh, so we got a, a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. So we'll, we'll get to that later on and uh, whatnot and so forth. You really ought to pick up the Inquirer, though. It continues to be America's finest newspaper. Let's get these calls. Then Tim Riley. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Yeah, this isn't at all to, to slag on Bob Ralston. That, that guy's got a pretty amazing career. Seriously. Um, but in high school... We had a teacher. He was uh, kind of one of the crazier ones. He, If you got in trouble, you would have to come in after school, sit down, listen to a chunk of the Lawrence Welk show, and then answer quizzes about whatever was going on in that episode. Fantastic. And, you know, and Bob clearly knows that. You heard him say, hey, did your parents force you to watch it? Right. I mean, he obviously knows. It's not like what the kids were, were really into. But... Uh, you know, but it did really make it did really make an impact. And Lawrence Welk, I admire anybody who identifies you know, a, a market or a demographic or a need that's not being met, and then he satisfies that need. And Lawrence Welk clearly saw there was a whole generation of people who could no longer relate to the music they heard on the radio, to what they saw on TV, to the way their kids looked, and they yearned for maybe a different time. Uh, I won't say a better time, but a, a different time, certainly. The, the, the uh, don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me era. And, man, he, that show ran for, like, 40 years. So, I mean, you got to give up to that guy. So Yeah. All right. Another thing, the uh, SNL video is already gone. Of course it is. Yeah, it was gone the second you said it. I clicked, and it was, you know. That's right, old media. Always remember, you don't want anyone knowing about your programs. Always right. take your content off the Internet so that people can't find out what is on your show. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh-huh. All right, there you go. Oh, by the way, speaking and, and all you people making these decisions, continue to give each other awards. Yeah. Uh, promoting yourself as being top in your field every year. <laughs> continue at these conventions. And continue to have big seminars about how you're embracing new media, mm -hmm. uh, even as you're sending cease and desist letters because uh, everybody wants to watch your product online. I mean, uh, never mind. Uh, but by the way, speaking of uh, cease and desist letters, so there was this great little uh, moment with Metallica the other day where I guess Metallica was getting ready to do a uh, an interview with it's in Sweden, and uh, apparently with the biggest music in the biggest music ma magazine in Sweden, it's like Sweden's top music weekly or whatever. And so the Metallica folks are setting up the interview with this Swedish music magazine, and the guy from the Swedish music magazine actually starts off the interview by saying, you know, in Swedish ease or whatever, Hergen Flergen or whatever they speak over there, he says, uh, he says, oh, your new album is great. I just downloaded it from the Pirate Bay and listened to it, and it's fantastic. And they like interview over, done. So, uh, there you go. Uh, let's see. We have these calls, then we'll uh, talk to Tim Riley. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, hi. Just like I was telling Richie that, yes, he should and probably will get Roy Clark. Yeah, yeah. Because he is an overlooked legend. Yeah. That guy, one of my first shows my parents took me to was like the Oregon State Fair, probably, and I was on their shoulders, and, and I remember him just shredding before I even know who should you know, what, what shredding was. And totally. That guy, and yeah, beyond and great personality, and I hope to be hearing that soon. I have to tell you, uh, I think I mentioned this on the air, I was watching the Muppet Show the other day, uh, the Muppet Show third season, and which is a great, cause it's got Liberace, it's got the uh, Leo Sayer, the You Make Me Feel Like Dancing guy, 
It's got uh, Alice Cooper, uh, which is really good, uh, but Roy Clark, too. And Roy Clark, as you pointed out, and a lot of those country guys are the same way. A lot of country musicians, uh, Natalie Maines from the Dixie Chicks, those, you know, all three of those girls are like this, where they can just play anything with strings. A lot of country people don't play one instrument. They specialize in all stringed instruments, and Roy Clark on The Muppet Show, and it's so hard. You can't be angry at him because he's clearly just like, you know, so loving it. You know, anybody else, you'd think it was like a real jerk move, but he does this bit on The Muppet Show where he starts out playing, it's like Foggy Mountain Breakdown or, you know, whatever. And he's playing it on the banjo, and he's like, and it's an insanely difficult piece to play anyway. And so he's doing that, and then the screen splits, and then he starts joining himself, and obviously it's pre-recorded things, but he starts playing along on guitar. Then the screen splits again, and he's joining it, he's playing along on the fiddle. And then the screen splits again, and he's playing along in the mandolin. And he should have gone to you, bastard. I can barely make three chords on one guitar, and this guy's busy playing all four parts of the same song on four different instruments by himself. Yeah. So, yeah, he's yeah, fantastic. Just like, just like I saw Dolly Parton uh, a few weeks ago. And totally. She, well, she wasn't doing the, you know, multi-tracking, but, yeah, she ripped on every string number you can think of. That's, what they, you know, that's the great thing. I have a real limited taste for bluegrass, but somebody really nailed it when they said that bluegrass is sort of like this hillbilly speed metal, you know? All right, thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. All right, one more, then we'll do the news with Tim Riley. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Good afternoon, Rick. What's up? So uh, I, I got in on the, the tail end, but you were talking about uh, the Lawrence Welk Show and then uh, Hee Haw. Yes, sir. And, yeah, well, uh, and then just how all the women were really hot. Well, I'm of that generation that, you know, grew up watching that. And the thought came to mind, that was like generation, my generation's um, Baywatch. Totally. And may I ask how old you are, sir? 45. Okay. So, yeah, so you're about 10 years older than I am. But certainly, uh, if you wanted to see uh, uh, some uh, bosomy ladies, uh, perhaps uh, with plunging necklines, that was a good place to do it. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm a picking. All right. Thank you. And, I, and I'm a grinning. All right. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> yeah, all right. Bye. You met another and pff, you were gone. All right. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So a woman in Salem invites this uh, young fellow to a party at her house. He arrives drunk. She thinks she left. But then she wakes up and the guy is fondling her in bed. Wow. So they uh, chase down 21-year-old Zachary Young. She and her boyfriend catch him, hold him to the ground, but he, he uh, whistles away some kind of skinny little guy. Takes off on a stolen bike. They bring the cops into the dogs, find him. And uh, he's booked into Polk County Jail on charges of burglary, sex abuse, harassment, and theft. Apparently, somebody started three fires in Northwest last night. They started within blocks of each other at 10 and 11. Two outhouses and two small buildings near the entrance of Forest Park burned up. Actors Sharon Glass and Tim Daly of the 80s series, Tyne Daly of the 80s series, Cagney and Lacey, are still friends. She's here in L.A. right now doing a play. She's a big hit. We're very, very close. Why is Her mother had a great expression. She said, sweat makes a great cement. And we sweat together for six years. Why is this a lot in of the nose? In those days. Apparently, uh, let's see. Why in the name? Don't get me oh, wrong. It says here, Glass and her friend, Kathy Griffin, are currently starring in the hit USA series Burn Notice. Is that a, a hit series? I've never heard of it first uh, time. I don't know. Oh, I'm thinking of the Cohen Brothers thing, the burn burn after reading thing. So little did we know that the Emmy Awards are on at some point during the weekend. Let me just back up for one second and talk about Tyne Daly and, and Sharon Gless of Cagney and Lacey. Uh, Sharon Gless is the alleged hot one, uh, although it's really relative. I mean, I got to have to tell you this. I know that it, I know that back then everybody was like trying to market Sharon Gless as some sex symbol on that show. Mm-hmm. 
And here's the thing. I know that I sound hopelessly PC when I say this, but you know, not every woman on television has to be sexy. No. Let the hee-haw girls do that. I mean, there's there's something to be said. Do I speak for everybody here when I say that sometimes you like it when you're watching a TV show and not everybody looks perfect? Yeah. Like, you kind of watch it and it's sort of like, hey, like maybe they're not hideous, but they look normal. Mm-hmm. You're like, hey, look at the show with normal people on it. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And with Cagney and Lacey, I mean, Tyne Daly is... Um, Maybe not a beautiful woman. Tyne Daly is perhaps handsome, maybe, sort of. A handsome woman. Not even really handsome. She's very butch and kind of kind of unappealing. But uh, but Sharon Glass, I think because she was blonde, they figured then she's blonde, ergo, she's the sex symbol. And that really wasn't the case either. The only hot thing about Sharon Glass on Cagney and Lacey, which was on religiously in my house every week, the only hot thing about Cagney and Lacey was how Sharon Glass would drink Lowenbrow, which is some, which is for somehow I thought was hot, because it was like beer with foil on it, so it seemed sophisticated. So Sharon Glass, like once every week, she would drink Lowenbrow on the show, and then she would talk to her dad, and she called her dad by his first name, Charlie. And so it would be like, and I forget if she was Cagney or Lacey, but she would sit there and she'd be like, so Charlie, we had a heck of a case this week. And Sharon Glass, I would have like the smoker's voice. And so it would be her and her dad, who I think was a private detective, and they had this sort of like... Troubled but sort of close relationship, and I thought it was really hot that she would sit there and drink beer with with foil on it. I don't know why that was hot to me, um, but um, but but then she and you know, and then she and Tyne Daly would go fight crime or whatever. And it was really neither of them was hot. They were both sort of beat looking, to be honest. I don't mean to sound mean about that, but they just they looked a little rough around the edges, and uh, and then later on, not just around the edges. Here's the great thing about Tyne Daly, though. Yes. Tyne Daly was in one of the one of the great but overlooked Clint Eastwood Dirty Harry films, which was The Enforcer. Oh. And The Enforcer is, I think, the third Dirty Harry movie because I think it went Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, The Enforcer, uh, Deadpool. No, Sudden Impact. Anyway, uh, but she's in the third Dirty Harry film, and she's uh, she's Harry's partner, who of course gets killed at the end. But there's this whole great um, climactic gunfight at Alcatraz, because of course Dirty Harry series takes place in San Francisco, and um, there is like the most badass Tyne Daly moment, and I'm the only person in history ever to use that sentence. There is the most badass Tyne Daly moment of the Enforcer when they are chasing the bad guys through Alcatraz. Which, you know, is closed, obviously, but the bad guys, that's where their base has been or whatever, and they kidnap the mayor of San Francisco. And nobody takes Tyne Daly's character seriously because she's the first female detective on the force and whatever, and, you know, Harry is suspect of, of her. And, but there's this great moment when she's got the drop on the bad guy, and the bad guy, you know, he she says, freeze! And the bad guy turns around, and there's, like, Tyne Daly, who's a very small brunette woman, holding a gun. And the guy sort of sees that it's a woman cop holding the gun, and he chuckles at her. And she just looks at him, and she says, You laugh at me, you bastard, and I will shoot you where you stand. And it's like the most righteous delivery. And you watch it, you go, Yeah! Sisters doing it for themselves. It's the greatest Tyne Daly, probably the only great Tyne Daly moment there ever will be. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, traders are keeping quiet as they exit their jobs in the New York Stock Exchange this afternoon. Uh, for me, I don't have enough invested or, you know, so it's just... It's going to hit a lot of people, I would imagine. Many are braced with this. Probably have reason to be worried, but with a little bit of money that I have, I'm not so sure much matters. Wait, I'm keeping quiet. What do you guys think about what's going on today in Wall Street? As well, I'd ask Okay, how about you, sir? No comment. Wait, I've lost track. Uh, are, are these people talking about the economy or about the hurricane? The economy. And how sad, by the way, that it, the clips about people reacting to the hurricane destroying everything and clips to, of people reacting to the economy have become interchangeable. Yes. Jesus. Hey, whatever happened to all that certain death people were facing in Texas? 
Well, they would have if they hung around. Did that come to pass? Was there certain death? There was, but everyone left. Okay. So I don't mean to sound flip about it, but I'm saying, look, they, they said, like, if you stay, you are effed. Right. Uh, like and Harry Truman. Stay. All right. So people got out. Right. Good. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Time for Britney Watch. Here's your Britney Watch on KCMD Portland, the CBS radio station for Monday. Spears has arranged a wonderful birthday present for herself for her sixth studio album, Circus. Did it be released December 2nd, the day she turns 22nd? All right, right now, can anybody in this room name Britney's previous five albums? No. No. Baby, one more time. Was the second one called Oops, I Did It Again? Yes. All right, Oops, I Did It Again. Yes. In the Zone? Yes. Yes. That's three. That is three. Apparently, there's two more, not counting this new one. Maybe one more was that time. was the last one? Piece I of me. It, I did it again. No, the, no, the piece the of me was a single. I know it was a single, but I can't remember the Blackout. name. Blackout. Blackout. But that's still only four. There's one more. If this is her sixth one, that means there were five more. We've just named four of them. What's well, the What's true. the fifth one? They're not mentioning the fifth one. All right. Well, there you go. Hmm. Right. One, two, three, four. Yeah, I got nothing. They don't know what it is. All right. So uh, let's see here. Uh, coming so soon after a triple victory for Video of the Year, Best Female Video, and Best Pop Video for Peace of Me at MTV's Video Music Awards, Circus follows your well-received 2007 album Blackout and continues the upward spiral the sometimes troubled pop star has been experiencing. The Outsiders, described by Spears' label Jive Records as an up-and-coming Atlanta production team, have produced the first single from the album Womanizer, which will drop September 22nd. Um... Has anybody heard it? Do we have sound no. from it? Anything? No. All right. I realize I don't really care. But I will say this, that it doesn't seem like the, pardon me, the sort of conventional wisdom is that the people want her to have a comeback. So it seems like if this album does, you know, well, if this album does anything, if this album, I mean, if she doesn't just flat out embarrass herself somehow, it seems like she might have a moderate comeback because I feel like she's sort of entered that kind of kitschy, we kind of feel sorry for her. Yeah, because she has the sim- she has empathy from people now instead of just, you know, scorn. It's kind of like when you saw those shirts that were like the free Winona shirts. When Winona Ryder kept getting... Hey, whatever happened to that, by the way? You know, Winona Ryder was getting busted for stealing a bunch of stuff. Wouldn't she go to the, supposed to go to the clink at some point? Oh, yeah. It never happened. That. No. No, she ended up getting, like, community service or something. Ah. Um, but uh, it seems like if Britney does even moderately well here, she'll probably have a comeback. But I will tell you, this is her last chance. If she blows it again somehow, falls on her face, either literally or figuratively, uh, she is, uh, she's hosed. There's a whole lot of hosing going on with that girl. So, uh, all right, well, there you go. Uh, by the way, before we uh, wrap up this Britney watch, and then we'll do one more, then we'll, take, uh, then we'll uh, have uh, Stan, the sales guy, come in here in a few, the prospective sales guy. Before we close this out, Todd the Corpse said something to me the other day that I hadn't really thought about, which is, you know, in the beginning of that, it's Nickel Arcade, and they're playing Vodka in Heaven, but obviously part of there is they're referencing that Leave Britney Alone video. And it's just a mark and an indication of how quickly our culture evolves at this point. Do you realize that whole Chris Crocker leave Britney alone video was a year ago? Only one year ago. Because it was after the last VMAs. Yeah. Wow. After the last VMAs when she was all a little, little bit chunky, a little bit drunk, or whatever. A little bit rock and roll. Uh, yeah, and he put out that, like, you know, yeah, leave Britney alone. 
that's only a year ago. That's how quickly we recycle everything in this culture and then get rid of it. And and when he sent me the email about Chris Crocker, I actually had to stop and try to remember who Chris Crocker was. And that's the guy who did the Leave Britney Alone video. Mm-hmm. So that's a, guy, that's a guy that we picked up hitchhiking along the side of the pop culture highway, and he rode with us for about half a mile, and then we booted him back out. I don't think he even got 15 minutes. Oh, he's going to have to walk the rest of the way with Taze on Day. All right, there's your uh, Britney watch for a Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Arcade, ladies and gentlemen. Just a second, we'll do one more, then we'll welcome uh, Stan, the prospective uh, sales dude, into the studio here. Okay, so somebody has clarified this for me. 1971, the original Dirty Harry, still a great film. 1973, Magnum Force, that's the one that has Animal House's Tim Matheson in it, I believe. Uh, 1976, The Enforcer, uh, which, uh, by the way, here's a great thing. You all go back and watch The Enforcer, which is the third Dirty Harry film. You know what they actually use in that movie is an exciting new piece of technology called the taser. I didn't. I was watching it the other night. It was on AMC, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a. It's a. And they're doing that whole thing of like the Mojo Wire and Almost Famous. It's a brand new piece of exciting criminal technology. It's called the taser, Harry. And let's see, Sudden Impact, 1983, and then of course the Deadpool, which had uh, Guns and Roses make a little cameo appearance. Uh, that's 1988. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Well, bees can be especially troublesome this time of the year. Captain Norm of the Tucson Police Department tells what to do if you do see bees. If you see bees around, going in and out of something, going underneath something, call a professional, have them come and remove them, take care of them. Bees attack people while they're doing yard work, or until outdoor work is done, children and pets should be kept inside. Like, that's going to work. Because of bees? Bees. I thought all the bees were gone. Well, they came back. Didn't we just have a story, in fact, a whole series of stories like three months ago? There are no more bees. The world is coming to an end. The bees have left. I know. Uh, So now all the bees are back. Yeah, we don't know. They offer no explanation where they were. I do have to say, by the way, this is perhaps why people don't always take seriously uh, a lot of screeching about whatever, the environment or the oceans or global cooling or warming or whatever. Somebody may have just hid the bees. Well, because like one... Publicity stuff. Well, because like one week the bees are gone and the next week they're back in such numbers they're going to kill us all. Mm -hmm. So, and by the way, it does seem to me like, as has been pointed out, I think, before, that those killer bees never got here. Weren't they always on the way? Yeah, but... Killer bees will be here this year. They never got here, ever. They usually stop in Texas. (laughs) Just to hang out. Yes. Hey, do you ever think this about bees? Here's a thing. Do you ever wonder if bees occasionally come home from a hard day of pollinating and they go, wait a minute. Kick up their feet. Turn up Lawrence Welk. No, no, but that's an interesting that's an interesting image, too. Mm. Though I was thinking about bees the other day, because bees are sort of like flying ants, you know, at the Borg. They're both, you know, very organized creatures, very structured and so forth. But, you know, bees, uh, you know, we have this whole thing where we'll, you know, we'll raise bees and then for their honey and, and whatever. But I always wonder if bees, like, they spend their whole day out kind of working and, you know, pollinating and doing things and gathering. Do you ever think that bees occasionally come home and they walk in the front door of their beehive and they go, hey, wait. Wait a minute, where'd all the honey go? Hey, did you got where'd the honey go? Did you guys is the honey is it in the drawer or something? Are we did we move it to a different I thought you we had all this honey when we left this morning. Well crap, it's just gone. Hey, the honey's gone. I don't know where it uh I don't know where it went. And then there's a whole like round of jacques in the beehive where each bee is accusing the other bee of having made off with all the honey. These are things I think about. They may, might have short term memory problems. 
Sarah's asking me if I did the legal ID <laughs> on KCMD Portland. Thank you. Yes. I know you probably did like seven times. Oh, that's okay. I thought that was last hour. Yeah, what are you going to do? This guy says, uh, Rick, hee-haw was laugh-in for rednecks. That's really true. I hadn't thought about that. I guess so, yes. He says it seems to be a complete rip-off of laugh-in, except with country singers instead of hippie dancers and folksy country porch sitters instead of Ruth, Buzzy, and Artie Johnson sitting on a por- uh, park bench. I really don't have a point here, except it's a great chance to name-check Ruth Buzzy. I, Ruth Buzzy, Tim, dead or alive? Alive. You know, Ruth Buzzy's a person. I saw a picture of her someplace. You know, she no, could... that was Joanne Worley. I don't really. Yeah. Would you see looking at anything approaching decent? Probably not. Well, she always, always looked aged. I mean, she, she may be a little grayer. She always looked aged, and Ruth Buzzy, I hate to say this, not an attractive woman. No. I mean, Ruth Buzzy is sort of the Don Knotts of the female comedy world, mm-hmm. uh, where, I mean, Don Knotts, I guess, got, I mean, he had kids, so somebody found him humpable. Uh, but, I mean, Ruth Buzzy I mean, that is... That is just bizarre to try to visualize. Don Knotts? Yes. Yeah, having having sex with the amazing Mr. Limpet. And uh, most of the time, Andy took away his bullets and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, bullet. He only had one. Oh, that's true. But Ruth Buzzy, she was the one she'd sit there on the park bench with Artie Johnson wearing a hairnet, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think she actually reprised that for the poison video, Your Mama Don't Dance. Anyway. I have no point here except to say Ruth Buzzy again, because it's funny. And because she was in that series, The Far Out Space Nuts with Jim Neighbors. All she's right. really weird looking. Ruth Buzzy? Yeah. Yeah, very funny. She's but not that she old. Was... She was born in 1936. She's an, not an attractive she's woman. She's like a long potato face. Yeah, she's uh, she's an unattractive woman. I, I don't say that to be cruel, but I think anybody would say an objective view of Ruth Buzzy would be that she is not a, not a great beauty, but she was funny, you know, able to pull it off. You know who is kind of hot and you sort of forget about it because she just looks like a Methuselah now is Cloris Leachman. There was a time when Cloris Leachman was actually kind of good looking. Mm-hmm. And then you see her now and she's just a... Uh, you, know. you guys are like two 60-year-olds hosting a talk show today. What do you mean? Everything's all from, like, you know, back in the 40s. <laughs> what about Lawrence Welk? There's all these obscure references. What about Cloris <laughs> Leachman? 70 years old. <laughs> I'm just saying. Cloris Leachman, at the, you know, maybe not maybe not stunning, but she was certainly passable at a certain time. Uh, this is my last thing, and then we'll, and we'll, we'll talk to Stan. for the 90s. No? Well, this <laughs> isn't from the 90s, but this is at least a little younger. This is from the 80s. Okay. Uh, because Cloris Leachman makes me think of Terry Garr. Mm-hmm. Uh, from, uh, you know, of course, it was in Young Frankenstein and then in Mr. Mom. Boy, Terry Garr in her day, she was a dish. Terry Garr was really unbelievably attractive. Now, not so much. All right, there you go. Tim Riley, we'll be back later with more news. Let's go play checkers in Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> when I was there, I saw I saw the old men playing checkers and hitting the little thing. Really? Mm-hmm. Let's go to the boardwalk. All right. Did they use a timer for checkers? Really? That's interesting. Like a, for checkers and for chess. Like a chess timer, but for checkers. Well, so you don't take up too much time. Do you believe, as I do, that the whole world can be divided into, I've said for the longest time, there's two types of people. There's people who watch Jeopardy, and there are people who watch Wheel of Fortune. There really is. That's it. There's very little crossover. I also believe, though, that the world can be divided into either checkers or chess. I mean, you, one is either, at heart, either a checkers player or a chess player. No one, no one ever uses the checkerboards at the park across the street from my house. No, you know, but they have those uh, chessboards downtown uh, by the Starbucks and Pioneer Courthouse Square, which are kind of cool, and it's always like old Russian dudes there, but you're kind of afraid to use it because you're just surrounded by gutter punks wearing locks around their neck. And yeah, you're that's just, the bad thing about downtown. They're going to cave in your skull for 15 cents, bunch of bastards. All right. All right. There's Tim Riley. Will you be back with more news, Tim Riley? Of course I will. All right. Oh, by the way, uh, Britney's, uh, she had an album simply titled Britney Spears, apparently. So there you go. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. What about Clara Bow? <laughs> I hear the Hoop Gibson movie festival is coming back next weekend. I'm on the road to the cemetery.
All right. It's uh, 503-733. You know what we do, Tim? We cross all demographics here. We do. We appeal to everybody. Jesus. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing today? Oh, super. Can you hear some more Bob Ralston? I do have this whole record at home, by the way. It's fantastic. I have something to play for you, Joe. He also does When You Wish Upon a Star. What do you have to play for me? Is it something uh, Is it something fantastic? I think so. Oh, you know what? Buffering? Gone? No, no, it's all buffered, but the hand of fate has come through. All right. I was going to play Sunseed for you. Thank you so much. You know, my final observation, then we'll do calls, then we'll bring in Stan, who is our first in-studio uh, interviewee for Birth of a uh, birth of a Salesman. Uh, before we, we went to break and we were playing that Bob Ralston song, that uh, that I Want a Girl uh, song, the, uh, you know, I Want a Girl just like the girl who married dear old dad or whatever, which is right here. You know what? Nobody ever really points out. This is kind of a creepy song. Do you know this song? All these songs sound kind of creepy. They sound like some haunted an amusement park or something. Oh, that's true. But, I mean, do you know this actual song, though? No. You don't know the song, I Want a Girl? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, i got to find it now. i got to play it for you. Let's do some of these calls. Then we'll uh, talk to uh, Sarah about this song for a second. I will uh, welcome Stan to the uh, Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, uh, sir, madam, as the case may be. What's up? Hey, you know, you are talking about bees the other day here, and uh, I had to clean up the uh, unimproved road next to my mom's house a couple weekends ago. Mm-hmm. We found a massive yellow jacket nest in the ground. <laughs> yeah, and so that's when I'm looking at these things. I look over at my son, who's about 21, I said, so you think we just uh, pour gas down that hole and light it, everything will be fine? Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, be, be sure you do that. Be sure you film it, too, so that you can be on the news later. Naturally, his response was, well, nothing can go wrong with fire, and uh, it seemed to work quite well. So wait, no, you actually did this? Oh, absolutely. Uh, all right, because, you know, typically that's a typically if you dump uh, gas down something and light it on fire, you end up being one of the stories that we talk about during the noon hour, and then we snicker at you and your next of kin. Ah, uh, but I survived, so it'll take a long time before you can snicker. All right, there you go. Snicker. All right, thank you. Bye. There you go. Yellow jackets kind of freak me out. Not as much as wasps, but, I mean, still, there's no walk in the park. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? It's Greg in Portland. I've got a uh, interesting Terry Garza dish something for you, and it's it's a bit of a nerdy thing. Okay. It, in Star Trek, the original series, there was an episode uh, with a character named Gary Seven, and they actually put the episode together to try and sell it as a pilot for a, a TV show starring this Gary Seven character, the guy with the cat. Remember, they came back to Earth, yes. time-traveled and all that. And the secretary was... Uh, uh, I don't know, 20-year-old Terry Garr. She's pretty cute. Well, i got to tell you, I mean, Terry Garr, in her day, I mean, you know, we all get older. What are you going to do? And I think she has MS and, uh, you know, some health issues. And so, you know, we wish her, you know, of course, all the best. But uh, Young Frankenstein, I think, is the definitive Terry Garr. And I saw Young Frankenstein for the first time when I was maybe 13 or 14. And there is there is that moment which, you know, Mel, Mel Brooks really just uh, excels at a certain kind of bad, obvious, kind of South Parky, corny humor that is still nonetheless very great. And there's that sequence where uh, Baron, you know, where Von Frankenstein is holding Terry Garr, and she's in this, like, very plunging neckline, and she's a well-endowed lady, and he's, you know, and he's using the huge, that thing on the door that you lift up, and, the, you know, the door, the door knocker thing, and he's hitting the door with the, with the big brass ring, and he says... He, uh, and he says, my, what knockers? And she says, oh, thank you, doctor. And she's right there in the low-cut shirt, and it's like, really? If you were like 14, you remember exactly where you were when you saw uh, Terry Garr in that dress. Just, don't get around that. Let's see if I have this song here, Sarah, and then we'll uh, talk to Stan. Let me see if I can see if this will want to play for us here. It may not. Here we go. See if this has lyrics. When I was a 
boy, my mother often said to me, Get married, boy, and see how happy you will be. I have looked all over, but no girlie can I find who seems to be just like the little girl I have in mind. I will have to look around until the right one I have found. Why is that? I want a girl just like the girl that married me. I want a girl just like the girl that married dear old dad. Oh, that's creepy. It's completely creepy. It's kind of sounds like a thank heaven for little girls. Exactly. And so, good reference. Uh, so, the whole thing about it is that he can't find the right girl and may, in fact, die a lonely, embittered, sexless bachelor because he can't find a girl that's just like mommy. I mean, what? I don't think I'm alone in listening to that and saying WTF. There's a whole lot of weird. That's just a little creepy. So. All right, it's 503-733-2970, 503-733-2970. Let's now welcome to the uh, Rick Emerson Show, Stan. Hello, sir. Hi. How are you, my friend? Good. All right. Glad to be here today. Uh, so Stan is one of the many entrants in the AM970 Birth of a Salesman uh, competition, and so the deal is uh, we took a whole bunch of people saying, you know, submitting 100 words or less, uh, why they wanted to be the next great AM970 salesperson. Talk to 10 on the phone, five going to come to the studio, and then uh, three, uh, we'll get to, uh, I'll have like 15 minutes with uh, the general sales manager, Michael Pashana. Perhaps one of them gets the gig. Uh, one of them, uh, you know, one of them walks out with the job, perhaps. So uh, thank you for coming in. So first of all, i got to say, uh, you look great. I dig the outfit. He does look Thanks. very sharp. You get kind of a, uh, I don't know, it's like a Green Bay American idiot meets Tom Wolf cream-colored suit kind of a thing going on today. Yeah, I like say maybe a Florida watch. Maybe. Things. Little bit, so you I just I really did think Miami Vice. I have to say this: I, I, you look kind of like somebody, and I can't put my finger on it. What celebrity would you say that Stan most resembles, Sarah? Hmm. Anything? I don't know. There's something. You look vaguely familiar, but I can't I can't quite figure out who it is that you look like. All right, so let's bring it all back. So, are you now? Wait, are you the guy who traveled to the Czech and yeah. you were like a flamenco guitarist yeah, here's, here's and so my forth? Resume, to refresh my Actually, memory. Resume. Right. Came prepared. That's all good. Right. Uh, let's see here. So I'm just going to read here. Let's see. Summary. Do you mind if I read this? Go ahead. All right. Summary of attributes. Diverse history of education in different countries. And then you... Now, did you write this totally yourself without help? I wrote this myself. You used the semicolon correctly. Well done. You know, almost nobody uses the semicolon correctly. Able to adapt quickly to new difficulties and environments. Experienced in several fields, including education, sales, immigration, and legal. All right. Uh, computer skills include Microsoft Word, WordPerfect. Word Perfect. Do they even make Word Perfect anymore? Oh, come on. I have Word Perfect on my PC. Proficient in typing, 60 words per minute, confident, blah, blah, blah. Languages, English, and then you put mother tongue, Spanish, complete fluency. Czech, moderate fluency. Say this. Uh, please to say, um, uh, say this. Say, um, Taser, I barely knew her in Czech, please. Uh, that's fantastic. All right, Russian beginner. Uh, so here's the... I almost uh, want to say that you know, if it turns out that you get the gig, that we should really hire you, maybe not even to sell, but just to be a guy who can be heard in the background of sales calls speaking in Russian and Czech so that we sound like a much bigger operation than we really are. You know what I mean? Well, that's basically... I mean, I went into sales with no experience in sales. It's really hard to break into something when you have no experience. And that was the reason why I got hired right there is the bilingual, the, the multilingual ability. 
Spanish is useful in whatever career you go into. I have a degree in Spanish. I'm fluent in Spanish. I can read and write it just as much as I can English. Excellent. And so that's what really got me to break into through to sales. I am really envious of people who speak more than one language. I mean, I speak, I speak my own language kind of well sometimes, and then I mangle things every now and again. Uh, but is it that I know people speak two languages, five languages, and it's just that I'm just filled with envy and, uh, and bitterness about that. So, uh, all right. So, but it's like, I think it's in Wall Street. I think it's the movie Wall Street. Uh, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's in the movie The Paper. Uh, the fine Ron Howard film, The Paper, starring Michael Keaton, where Michael Keaton is sort of a tabloid reporter. He works for basically what is the New York Post, and he gets a job interview at the Sentinel, which is basically the New York Times. And so he's going from this sort of ghetto newspaper to this really prestigious newspaper, and he's walking through the newsroom, and he walks by the desk of this New York Times reporter, and the New York Times reporter is saying, uh, hello, this is uh, Kent Johnstein calling from the New York Times. And then he pauses and he goes, oh, sorry. And he switches very smoothly into German. And it's just an indication of how big and uh, how big and, and uh, sort of world-spanning and sophisticated the New York Times is. So we ought to have you around just to be like sophisticated guy, which is in the background. Uh, all right. And so you have, you spent how much time in the Czech Republic? Two years. And you spent, and have you spent time in Russia proper? No. I've, I've studied Russian, which is a Slavic language as well, so I was able to pick up things pretty fast. And uh, I can read the, the alphabet, and a lot of the words are the same as Czech, so I can understand it. Excellent. If I were to tell you right now, let's not use specific business names, but if I were to ask you right now, hey, you're going to go up, you're going to start cold calling, what are the two types of businesses that first come to mind that you would pursue for advertising on AM970? Well, um... I think that I would pursue car dealers, specifically um, some of the cheaper uh, Japanese kind of models that that are for young people. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Scion. Um, that's like they're they're affordable, but they're sporty and elegant at the same time. If you see the Scion TC, it's um, you know. A car that's targeted toward young people, first car, yes. but a very nice car. All Handles right. excellent. You know, I myself am sporty and elegant, so that makes a lot of sense. All right, well, let's do this. Let's. Uh, here's what we're going to do, my friend. Uh, we're going to ring somebody up. This is a CBS employee, but we're going to ring somebody up, and uh, you are going to cold call them, and you are going to speak to them as though you were just ringing them up to talk to them about in a broad sense, advertising on talk radio and on AM 970. So this is a theoretical. This is not. This is a theoretical cold call. Okay, so theoretically, you are not playing. Do. You are not playing with live ammunition. Uh, this is a. Uh, this is a bit of a role playing thing. So this is a CBS employee you're talking to. There's actually no real money on the line here. And is this the as a CBS employee? And theoretically, what um, you are business? Co uh, they are in the business of selling. Uh, games and toys, uh, almost like a Finnegan's Toy Store kind of a thing. In other words, sort of like a board games and family-oriented, uh, you know, where you go and you buy, uh, they, they sell Monopoly, they sell Trivial Pursuit, they sell things like that. Okay. So, all right. Are you ready, sir? Yeah. All right. Uh, the person you'll be talking to is Susan. All right. Let's, uh, there we go. All right. Hi, Susan. This is Rick. How are you? Well, I am fine. How are you, Rick? I am fantastic. All right, Susan, you are the proprietor of a game and toy store, are you not? Sort of? Yeah, for purposes of this phone call, Excellent. yes, I am. All right, Susan, the next voice you hear will be the voice of Stan. Stan, this is Susan. Go. Hi, this is Stan. I'm calling from AM 970. Um, I heard your ad on... Uh, I heard your ad on FM 330.9 or whatever, <laughs> and I yes. think that, um, you know, I was wondering if you wanted to change to a better demographic. This is a youth-oriented radio station. Um, 
Rick Emerson has primarily young male listeners, which is the same demographic as video games, and you're advertising on a classical music station, which uh, I think that you need, I mean, no offense, but <laughs> I think that you should, you should work on targeting your, your sales, well, targeting your advertising to the right demographic. Wow, Stan. No offense, you're a fool. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, Stan, um, but I happen to be a long-standing customer of that FM 330 point whatever it was, and so they take very good care of me. How am I to know that you will be uh, as customer service oriented as they are? Well, because the the listeners to our station, AM 970, can bring in people faster than than your station because we have a more devoted listener base, and the listener base is more targeted towards your demographic. And what, also, is, what is this AM970 of which you speak? I have never heard of it. Thanks AM, so much. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. <laughs> AM970, AM The Talker, is a talk radio station featuring Rick Emerson. Uh, his, his show is followed by Portlanders daily. They follow his every move. And uh, then after that is Tom Likas, a, a radical... Um, much machismo uh, program that that has many <laughs> listeners as well that are very devoted. We uh -huh. we um, the, our listener base they tune into 970 and listen all day. Uh, I I know people listen to classical, but but th these 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 sorts of listeners they 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 follow every move of the of these programs, and you can't find that devotion, and that and you will you will notice results. Well, uh, are you going to uh, introduce me to this Rick Emerson? I mean, how is he Rick, going to be a spokesman for my product? Rick Emerson would be I'm happy to come out and do whatever the client needs. <laughs> Let me say Rick Emerson is a team player. He'll assist in whatever way is necessary. Really? I, I'd love to contact you, Rick Emerson, and, and schedule a meeting. How about next week, Tuesday, 3 o'clock? Does that sound good? Uh, no, actually, I'm very busy Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Let me just step in. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. You do the, uh, you do the fork close. You say, what works better for you? Would you say Tuesday at 5 or maybe Thursday at 9.30? Which of those is better? Now, there you go. I'm free Thursday at 9.30, That's an and I can definitely go. make time right. if you can guarantee me that I'm going to see results. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Susan Reynolds. You're a good person. Boy, oh, boy. FM 330. <laughs> you know, it'd be helpful to get familiar with the uh, with all the radio stations in town. Also, by the way, I do like the idea. I like the fact that you took my sort of vague description uh, of this call and you immediately turned it to your advantage by saying, you're on a classical music station. <laughs> For, just sort of turning the scenario to your advantage. All right. Thank you, Susan. Okay. No you're problem. a good person. Doing the Lord's work. All right. Stan, uh, I appreciate you so much coming. Anything else you want to ask me, sir? Yeah, there's a couple other resources I've I wanted to show you. Yes. Here. Um, these are my personal leads. You know, as 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 a salesperson, I, I this is like 500 I, pages of leads. I, I've got these. These are these are people that I know for certain businesses, and uh, you know these these are this is what what I've ac accumulated over my. How many names career. are on that list, Stan? Uh, I've probably got about I probably got about 400 500 people. Wow. All right, you have over prepared, my friend. And, well done. Uh, also, you know, I'm a flamenco guitarist, and I'd like to... You should totally serenade prospective clients. Um, you should go to them, and you should sing them a little ditty about, uh, you know, do like a little strum on the flamenco guitar, and then sing them maybe an open to the interview. Just like how you gave the people the cake. Totally. See, that's exactly... Sing them the proposal, sir. That, it's it's worked before, you uh, know. I mean, I've, I've tried to use it to, to my advantage in whatever career, you know, to try to get a certain niche, but I've got a gig on, on uh, Halloween that I'm doing, and I wanted to give you guys... My demo, and it's going to be a Dia de los Muertos Halloween flamenco show. 
mi- picture a mixture of mariachi, yes. gothic, and flamenco together. I like how you're, even now you are using this to attempt to close this on an entirely separate project. All right. Stan, thank you so much for coming in. I dig your suit. Uh, we will be in touch one way or the other. Thank you, my friend. Excellent. There you go. Stan, ladies and gentlemen, back after this. More of Tim Riley and another installment of It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard. Stay there. Back after this. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. In just a moment, we will have more from Tim Riley. Inexplicably, we're getting a lot of Ruth Buzzy calls now. I'll go figure. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you guys the squirrel story. Did I tell you this, sir? At Rockfest? Yeah, there was a squirrel at Rockfest? No, it's a whole... Well, you know, they do that thing where we got squirrels in the in the attic here, which is, I guess, like Bats in the Belfry. Well, you have squirrels in the attic, and so, like, about... Every 60 or 90 days, the guy comes through with uh, those those non-kill traps. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's basically just like a... It's like a big roach motel, but it doesn't kill him. You know, they put, like, nuts or something in there. And then the squirrel goes inside, and then, you know, then the door swings shut behind him. And then I think that Dave Zinn made the guy swear to God that they take the squirrels and set them loose in a park to run and play with other squirrels. Mm-hmm. And really, they're probably just going to the bottom of the river in a bag. But, I mean, I think it makes us feel better to go like, no, 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 they're, they're, they're happier where they are now. Uh, so... We had all these squirrels running around, and I think I played that sound on the air at one point of the squirrel going like, because we thought it was a bat. Anyway, so the, so the guy comes in a couple weeks ago, puts the squirrel traps up there. He comes in Friday morning and, you know, goes up there and he checks the traps, and sure enough, two squirrels in there. He goes, okay, I got you. You know, here's your problem right here. So he takes the traps and, you know, takes off. So that's on Friday, the same day that Rockfest is happening. We get done at 3 last Friday. By the time we get off the air, every single person here, is out at Rockfest. So, uh, with the exception of, I uh, think, one. Abandoned here. Yeah, I mean, there was somebody, one person here, one person at KUFO. That was it. Whole building empty because everybody's out at Rockfest. And so, I'm sitting there in my office, and I'm still here because I had some crap to do. So, I'm sitting here Friday afternoon trying to get caught up so I can head out to Rockfest with all my stuff done. And I hear this sound, and I'm like, what the hell is that? And I'm sitting there at my desk, and I look out, and there's a squirrel sitting in the doorway of my office staring at me. I look over, and he's just sort of looking up at me with, like, you know, squirrel eyes. And I said, and I actually said to him, I said, why, hello. And he sort of runs off. And so I just sat there and typed, what the hell am I going to do, catch the squirrel? So for the next half an hour, as I sat there, was working away, the squirrel's just doing laps in the hallway upstairs. Because I guess, and the funny thing is that, like, the traps are all gone, so the squirrel's like, ha-ha, the coast is clear. <laughs> Screw you all. So he was, he figured, man, he was, like, he was totally safe. Uh, so the squirrel came down out of the ceiling and was running around the building on Friday. And at one point, Lara called me to, you know, to see when she should come pick me up to go to Rockfest. And I answered the phone. She goes, hey, what's up? And I said, there's a squirrel sitting in my chair looking at me. And actually, it, in my office, across from my desk by the other chair, the squirrel just came in and sat there for like 20 minutes and just watched me work. And then ran off on you know presumably important business of his own. So And they never caught him, to the best of my knowledge. So if you're walking around the hallway today at CBS and you see a squirrel just sort of running around... I guess don't be alarmed. At one point, I was standing. But it's, there's a squirrel running around. Yeah, I was just. I mean, I know you were talking about, it, but I thought that they must have, like, it must have gotten out over. Well, the that was that something. was Friday. I don't think anybody was here to catch him. I mean, and I and I don't think he would have left because there's donuts here. You know that he has to be in our room somewhere. Because <laughs> Probably of all, the, all the crumbs and everything. The weird thing is, he was completely unafraid because at one point I was sitting there and he walked into my office and he like walked over my shoe. He was just sort of scoping out my office and I looked down. He's just sort of and walking over my shoe. You know, no matter to me. I mean, it's not like he bit me or anything, so I don't really care. But, I mean, and I wasn't going to try to catch him. 
Because if I catch him, what am I going to do with him? I don't know if I'm supposed to dump him outside or if I'm supposed to wait for the exterminator. I don't want him to bite you because he's like a rat with fur. Well, and I don't want to put like a tub over him and then have him like die or something. I mean, you know, my yeah. office comes back, smells like dead squirrel. So, uh, so Lara came to pick me up and she walked in. She's like, "What's up?" And I'm like, "Look over there." And she looks over there and there's the squirrel. And then you know we sort of waved at it and it ran off to. Did it wave back? It, no, it it sort of looked at us and it kind of went. You know, it did that thing of like flicking its whiskers and then it ran off and it was sitting in Jeff Wright's cubicle upstairs. So. Maybe we can get dirty little creatures. They're so cute. I mean, that's what I'm saying. They're kind of disgusting, but they're sort of great. So maybe he can be the new AE. There were evil attack squirrels when I was in college and lived in Pullman. They would run at you. They were the scariest thing. Really? Mm-hmm. And you know what that is when the squirrels run at you? That's a thing where they are uh, they're testing for human weakness. That's what that is. Like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park where they jump at the electric fence trying to find weak spots. That's where the squirrel... And, you know, they realize that probably if the squirrels... The squirrels must think this. They're like, okay, well, there's that big super predator. There's that apex predator that walks on two legs. All right, we got to draw lots. All right, Filbert, Twitchy, Scruffles. All right, everybody. And then Scruffles draws the search straw, and he's got to run at a human who kills him. And they go, okay, clearly it didn't work out yet. Okay, we're going to try again in six months. All right, and then six months down the line, another squirrel. Because eventually they figure, you know, eventually they figure Darwin will be on their side, and they'll be able to take us down. Let's do one Ruth Buzzy call, then Tim Riley. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How's it going? Uh, We're infested with squirrels, sir. Um, well, I used to actually work for a uh, pest removal uh, company. Yes, sir. And um, you guys have the live catch traps? Yeah, yeah, and then I guess they take them and they kick them out in the park somewhere. Um, no, they don't. Oh, really? Yeah. They the cat's actually... in the bag and the bag's in the river? No, actually, they have a uh, CO2 chamber back at their shop, and they put them in the CO2 chamber, and uh, they go to sleep forever. Ah, they go to... Uh, That's a terrible story. They go to the Rainbow Bridge. Uh, yeah. Thanks for, on our parade. Thanks, for uh, thanks for weighing in on the killing of cute fuzzy animals, sir. I appreciate well, it. Well, you know, I didn't really want you to... Yeah, I, Sometimes I people don't a... want to know the truth. You know, sir, I like to believe that all of my previous dogs are running in the country with dogs just like them. Well, you know, I like animal... to think that my uh, I like to think that my when my sister vanished from home for uh, nine or eleven months when I was about sixteen that it or when I was uh, about five and she was sixteen it's because she was going to uh, a musical camp where they were teaching her how to play guitar. Are you Mulder or something? What? Mulder? No, no. His missing sister? Come on. No, different story. Let's, uh, okay. what, did you call about Ruth Buzzy? Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you just totally resurrected, like, some, uh, uh, childhood memories of, like, sitting in my, my living room watching, uh, reruns of Laugh-In. That's what I do. And, uh, Ruth Buzzy and Goldie Hawn when she was, like, 20 years old. And Goldie Hawn like, in a bikini with, like, body paint all over her? Oh, yeah. yeah. But Ruth Buzzy did that as well. You know, <laughs> Shut, no, him and I no, both no, just no, shuddered. Not get me wrong, Rick. Oh. Um, she she had like a, a a decent figure. Please tell me that Ruth Buzzy Ruth Buzzy had it going on. <laughs> yeah. That sounds really weird. But yeah. if you're talking like 1967 or 68, hold on a second, just one second. Hey Tim, apparently Ruth Buzzy was a real sex machine at one point. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, she had a, a a pretty decent figure back in the day, even though her face was um messed up. Unique. Bad helmet. <laughs> she had a bum helmet is what she had. All right, we, we got to run, my friend. Uh, well, can I ask you one more thing? If you can ask it in less than six seconds. Okay. Zombie thing. Is that like so last week or can I run? No, uh, it, would be, it would be posted today. We're not taking any more submissions. And Bridget is gone today, but when she returns, the poll will be put up. Let me give you one. No. A slurp. Of- Bye. People are so disappointed. Thank you. Why did you let him go on for so long? You know, because... Uh, like five minutes or less. After you told us the killing I'm sorry. Bye, thing. sir. No, I'm sorry. I'm, please forgive me, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley. 
And now, now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim the Riley. The thing is, they're never going to catch this squirrel, though, because he was savvy enough to wait till all the traps were gone to come out and then, like, put it right in our face. Hey, I'm a squirrel. I'm on the floor. What are you going to do, human? All right. Apparently, somebody stabbed a woman with a needle on the max, and now she's trying to track this person down. So this woman bends over to pick up her wallet, and somebody stabs her in the spine with a needle. Whoa. All right. I thought you meant, like, a sewing needle. It doesn't say. Is this like a hypodermic needle? It may have been. First of all, I don't want to be stabbed with a hypodermic needle. Secondly, in the spine. Thirdly, I mean, with the spine. And, and then this person hops off at 122nd Avenue, of course. <laughs> of course, but I mean, how would a needle even penetrate your spine? Didn't your spine made out of bone? I suppose so. But that's what she's claiming. She went to the hospital. Mm. Uh, they gave her a shot for it, and now she's trying to track down the uh, the, the needle stabber. So she goes to the max and asks for the surveillance tapes, but they don't keep the tapes that long. Really? Mm-hmm. How hard is... Never mind. So now she has to get a blood test every six months. Why for the rest of her life? Or for seven years? It doesn't say. Whatever. So how hard would it be just to keep security footage on something that you know is filled with criminals? You would think so. I mean, especially because at this point, they... Like on this... I would would think this is on the max? Of course it's on the max. Of course. I mean, I'm sorry. I wanted to clarify. I'm a fool for asking again, Tim. I should have known. But I mean... I can't believe, first of all, they're still using videotapes at this point. It's got to go be going on a hard drive. I, I would, think so. So hard drive space is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Do you realize my mom bought me a pair of gloves for Christmas last year? Like, you know, just whatever, not even really expensive, like winter, like nice sort of winter, you know, like dress gloves, like to go with my coat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you realize my mom bought me, let me tell you this, kids. Uh, when I was a small boy, my father bought me a completely pointless and ineffective computer called a, called a Commodore VIC-20. Some of you remember, remember that? Yeah. Yeah, pointless. Hundreds of dollars, couldn't do anything, couldn't do squat. My mom, last year for Christmas, buys me a pair of sort of nice kind of dress gloves. Mm-hmm. You know what came with them free, just like sort of attached to the side? A two-gigabyte thumb drive. Oh. A two-gigabyte little drive goes on my keychain. They gave it to her free with a pair of gloves. So the idea that the Max, which is filled with criminals and hoodlums and, you know, scabbers, wheels. why, how much could it cost to possibly just, you know, keep the security footage on the off chance that, oh, I don't know, somebody's stabbing people in the spine with hypodermic needles? Because that means they never caught the guy, right? They haven't caught no. him. So there's some guy out there still stabbing people in the spine with needles. More than likely. Another yeah. reason to ride the bike, really. That's what I'm saying. A bike and hike, Tim. Yes. That's where you want to go for that's that. That's where you want to go. All right. Well, that's enough out of me for now. Are you done? Yeah, pretty much. Going back to uh, prepare more news. I am. I must run back. I hope I don't trip any over any grinning squirrels in the hallway. I'm serious. The thing about the squirrel is it's like he knew that the coast was clear, and he thought he would come out and just be like, hey, look look who you failed to catch. You know, Sherrod, you are. Well, it's awesome. We have, like, a station mascot now. Totally. We, should we have, have to find him. Maybe he just had a long weekend. We'll never see him again. Well, I think, like, he must have thought it was nighttime because everybody was gone. Everybody, there's like, three people in the building. Everybody was gone, so he must have figured and it was nobody nighttime. nobody was upstairs. No, I was, I was literally, I was the only one upstairs. And I walked to the front uh, uh, office to get, like, paper clips, and he was sitting on, there's this guy, Jeff Wright. He's an AE upstairs, a sales guy. And he's sitting on Jeff Wright's chair. And it was a weird, like a double take. Like, It'd be funny if you're sitting at Dave Zinn's seat giving away concert tickets. It was just... <laughs> I need to tell you what I mean. <laughs> You're taking everybody to wake up. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, Tim. Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. Greatest newsman in the history of the world back at 4, 5, 6, <laughs> and 7. All right. Uh, but, uh, but I walked by, and it was like the... I must have done the most comedic sitcom double take. Because I'm like, do 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 do, walking by the cubicles, cubicle, 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 squirrel, cubicle, and I and I stopped and I went, hang on, and I ducked back, 
and I go back to Jeff Wright's cubicle, and swear to God, just a freaking squirrel sitting in his chair. Like as though he was just the new, like, uh, you know, national rep or something. And I said, and I looked at him, and of course I do that thing of talking to animals. I said, hi there, what's up? And he just kind of looked at me, and he kind of did the thing of, like, the, you know, whispers twitching. And I sort of walked toward him, and he kind of jumped down to the floor and sort of, like, backed away a little bit. And I went, well, all right, never mind. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in my office. Bye now. And um, I figured he was just going to vanish. And so I'm in my office, and then I just, and I, you know, and he's like, literally, it's like Bruce Jenner just running laps up and down, like a Flojo, just running laps up and down the hall. And I text messaged Susan at one point. I'm like, hey, uh, FYI, there's a, there's a squirrel sitting outside your office door. So if you come back and he's there, like, don't. And she emailed back. She's like, WTF? And I emailed back and I said, don't worry about it. Uh, he'll probably be gone. But then he came into my office and was like walking over my shoe as I was typing away. I had no fear of me whatsoever. It's the weirdest thing. And I came down and Kristen Bowie was here and Adam Thompson was here. And I came down and I said, hey, uh, FYI, just like if you see something running around, there appears to be a squirrel, like, uh, you know, trying to get the, like, 100-yard, like, gold medal upstairs. So don't be freaked out by it or whatever. So unless they came and got rid of him on Monday, like, this morning, he's got to still be up there running around somewhere. So it's all very exciting. Should we take a break? Yeah. Take a break. We come back. We'll uh, wrap it up. More of your phone calls around the corner. Uh, if you want to get on board, this is a good time to do it. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You want to get on board for the end of the show. Uh, some other things to get through email and so forth. Like us at 3. Mike O'Mara Show at 7. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. This is Queen. Don't go anywhere, my friends. <laughs> Like, Firefox keeps prompting, like, install now, install in a week, install never. And I keep hitting never, but then it keeps coming back and saying install now, install in a week. And I keep clicking the don't ever ask me again. Not because I dislike Firefox, but because... I don't know, fire, the, the browser that I have now works fine. There's I no like problem. I like the way that it was. And now, like, yeah, some, somebody installed updates, and now mine's yeah. this weird new Firefox where it's like Super Mario Brothers 2, like, Jumbo Land. But everything's super big and yeah. confusing. Well, not confusing, just really big. No, I know what you mean. I mean, well, the, the thing about a browser update is people get really used to a browser, and then, like, Microsoft is the worst, of course, where you have no choice but to update it, and you're like, you don't know where anything is, and it's all. And they keep doing these things they think are improvements. You know, and it never is an improvement. It's just like an obfuscation of everything that was there before. Uh, this will most likely be the final call of the day. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello there. Hey, Rick. I remember watching Hee Haw, and it was mostly like a punishment. Yes. I think, but because my parents weren't really hicks. They're white trash, but they're not, you know, into that. But we were, you know, we had the only uh, the three majors. But even though I can't stand that show, I can remember that stupid song they used to sing. The Where oh, Where Are You Tonight? Yes. Yeah. Sing it now. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Are, are you going to accompany me? No. All right. Uh, where, where are you tonight? Why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and I thought I found true love. You met another and you was gone. Well done, sir. Thank you, my friend. All right. There you go. Best call of the day right there. We'll end on that one. 
All right, what did I see in the radio correspondents? James Roop and Lisa Desjardins, as well as Stan, the prospective sales dude who came in today. Uh, let's see, join us tomorrow when our guest will include Nina Parker from TMZ.com. Uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today, and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman for AM Nights, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Ryland, the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, the webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, director of engineering, Brian Jones, CBS Radio, Portland marketing guru, Susan Donap with me, Reynolds. We also want to thank Chris Paddock for his help today. Uh, like us next, Michael Mara Show at 7, see you at 10 uh, for the recap 11 for the show. Thanks for listening. Watch out for snakes. Bye now.